This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Tuesday, January 24th, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family, always cranking out the big, big savings down at MyPillow. Whether you're looking for the MyPillow Classics, the Air Lindells, the My Slippers, a My Robe, or even a My Dog Bed, you enter promo code STEAK at checkout, you're going to get big, big savings. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. You enter promo code STEAK here, you're getting 25% off your order, 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, I think we nailed it this time? Oh. Get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that will take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, and to everyone joining us today from the Republican High Command, Instagram, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social, welcome Tuesday edition Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 207. I'm Roan, Noah's here, Yo, Antoinette's keying up. Guys, we've got a big show. We're going to get a mega update from none other than Boris, who's going to be coming in hot. We're going to be sitting down with the former acting U.S. Attorney General, Matt Whitaker. Christina Bob's launching her new book, and she's going to be doing it on Steak for Breakfast today. Not only that, but we've got a whole bunch of the news to get into, so let's jump right into it. All right, joining us next on the show today, she is an attorney for the Trump 2024 campaign. Today is the official launch date of her new book, Stealing Your Vote, the inside story of the 2020 election and what it means for 2024. One of our great friends, very excited to host her today, Miss Christina Bob. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you so much. I love coming on Steak for Breakfast. And we love hosting you. Well, first off, congratulations on the launch of the new books. I am excited for February 1st when it will be delivered to my house. I'll be holding it in lieu of getting a signature from you and hopefully a personalized message. But that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about uh, how great it is that you got this book out there. What's going on? I'm super excited about it. Yeah, it was a long making in the process. I mean, I did so many interviews and had so many findings that I wasn't able to share mostly just because I ran out of time. You know, you know how it goes. You're limited to an hour or two hours on your podcast. Or when I was at OAN, I had five minute hits that I could do once or twice a day. And it just wasn't enough time to really put the story out there of what I was seeing. 
So I, I was writing it all down just so I wouldn't forget. And then, you know, I joke that I accidentally wrote a book because I was just keeping my notes of everything. And here we go. No, Christina, it's one of those things where when you go back and look at some of the real historical benchmarks, both highs and lows that we went through throughout the course of the last couple of election cycles, to be able to chronicle this and, and then to put it in a book for, for the the reader who's going to go ahead and purchase it and, and, and you know, get into it with you on, on what you saw and how it all went down. It's one of the few things that, you know, like you said, you could talk about in five minute hits or maybe a little bit longer on podcasts like ours, but you can't really hold it in your hands. And that's what you're actually getting with this to be able to like read your words and then go back and, and you know, read it again to maybe clarify or, or learn something new about a lot of the things that went down in the in the 2020 presidential election cycle. And uh, no, I think it's, it does a lot of good and, and it's probably a long time coming. But why did you feel like now is the right time as we're getting ready to head into the 2024 general election campaign season that it was it was a good time to get this book out there? Is there is there some kind of like a, maybe a foretelling or warning in the book as well? <laughs> well, my whole desire with the book is to correct our elections and to show people what they can do in their communities to make sure it doesn't happen again. And, you know, I, I've had it written for a while. I've written it a few different ways. And ultimately, my discussions with the publisher were this book really is about fixing 2024. And so the concern with publishing it before the midterms was that it would get lost in the midterms. And, you know, people would think it was a midterm book. And, and it's not. It's really about correcting 2020 at 2024. And certainly, you know, we had some improvements, which were OK in 22, but it wasn't enough. And I discuss, you know, some of the progress we've made and everybody, I think, can see a lot of the gaping holes where we're not quite done. But I give a bunch of stories in this book. It's funny. I think I, I think I mentioned to you guys that some of the, the statistics I gave, my publisher didn't believe me and was like, oh, we have to fact check you. And they fact checked me. and We're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you're right. <laughs> so that's kind of fun. But um, I want to I, I tell a lot of stories of people in local communities and what they were doing. And like, for example, in Pennsylvania, you know, Pennsylvania wouldn't necessarily do an audit and, and wouldn't necessarily take steps to correct what happened. So the citizens did it themselves. And there's a great group called Audit the Vote PA. They did a bunch of stuff in Pennsylvania without the assistance of the state government and just did a lot of really good work um, that I think they'll continue to do. And I think they will be able to use that to correct 24. So I hope that the reader finds themselves in the book and says, oh, I can do that in my community. And so it's, I mean, you know, spoiler alert, the the crux is it takes all of us. We all we all have to get involved to fix our elections. And I hope that the readers read this and figure out how how to do that. OK, well, I, I definitely think uh, get people getting involved is something that we've seen a lot more of. But uh, yeah. in, in the whole totality of things regarding, you know, the next build up to the next election, especially after the 2022 midterm election cycle, which in some cases was was part of partially a letdown. And then you have, you know, the whole discussion of like leadership. So everybody wants to complain about, let's just say, for instance, Kevin McCarthy, right when it's time to vote, when we did have two years or more time to find a more viable candidate, if that was going right. to be, you know, the eventual nominee. And then we, we kind of are in the same situation with the, uh, the RNC chair. You have Harmeet Dillon and, and Ron McDaniel both have their pluses and minuses, both have, you know, big time flaws. And, and now people are saying like, oh, I wish there was somebody who would have stepped up. And I was like, okay, Republicans historically like to complain yeah. about candidates either after the primary or when it's time to go to the ballot box on election day. But people don't realize that there's years before all this planning that goes in there. I think one of the big funny things is, and, and we could always like circle back to this, is the whole situation that's going on with George Santos right now, the uh, congressman from New York. Right. 3. 
a lot of people don't understand that George Santos won his election in 2020 and was actually pulled out of Congress after a recall after he had already gone through his congressional orientation and was almost sworn in as a congressman. So it's that not. Was, I actually didn't know that. That's really interesting. And it's not. Yeah. So it's not like George Santos came out of nowhere. Like he he prepared all the way back from 2018 to run in 2020, won his election, was was uh, lost in a recount and then ran again in, in 2022 and flipped to Biden plus 23 to Republican eight, which is probably the second biggest electoral win besides Ron DeSantis in the entire election cycle. So for all these things that are coming out about it now, it seems like Republicans have always been so reactionary about like the candidate quality and and things we need to do to fix. The question I'm asking now, are we doing enough? And what do you really think needs to be done between now and when we go to the ballot box in 2024? Are we doing enough? I, I don't want to say no. Like the answer is like, kind of, um, I think there's enough groups now that are digging into finding the truth, digging into, uh, correcting the process, making sure the chain of custody is in order, but we need more. So we're we're doing better than we were. We're on the right track, but we need to amplify it a lot. And anybody listening to this, tell all your friends, get involved, whether you're a poll worker, an election worker, uh, you volunteer for your local GOP, you knock doors, register people to vote, you know, whatever role you want to play, play it. Because whatever role you don't want to play, play it, because we've got two years to correct this. And if we don't correct it in two years, it it will be very, very hard. I mean, it's already hard, but it will be even harder if, if not impossible to correct it if we don't do it by 24. No, I mean, that, that is the fact of the matter. And I, I'm in I'm in the same um, argument as you is that we're off to a good start, but there's a lot more work that needs to be yeah. done. And uh, we'll probably see how much more of that work's going to get done after Friday when we vote for a new RNC chair. Was it different? What do you predict? I think a lot of people. I know people, you're supposed to ask the question, but I'm curious. No, what do you predict? I honestly think that a lot of people are, are, are doing the same thing in, in the America First conservative movement that we always do. We're going to completely disregard the incumbent and hype up, uh, you know, who they would want as an alternative. And then the incumbent's probably going to win and everybody's going to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened when it's like, what did you guys do besides have, you know, the challenger go on a whole bunch of podcasts and Tucker Carlson a whole bunch of times? Which is what we, which is what we saw with a, with a lot of our, you know, there were so many people in the midterm elections who said I would have much rather saw candidate X, Y, or Z come out and do a town hall with 5,000 people instead of go on Tucker Carlson five days a week, which was the case for the midterm elections with a lot of the high profile candidates. And uh, part of me agrees because Tucker Carlson's not going to the ballot box for, you know, five different senatorial candidates from five different states. And I think we very well may see the same thing with the RNC chair. That's just my prediction. I also predicted Kevin McCarthy would be the speaker, and it was just based off simple math. If he didn't remove his nomination after the straw poll where I saw he got almost 200 or at right 200 votes, no one was going to take that away from him just because they're putting up another candidate. Uh, right. Even when you talk about the higher quality ones, like let's just say a Jim Jordan, who is probably one of the best House representatives we have, it's you know 18, 20 votes until – that first name is taken out of the equation. And that's kind of where we were at on that. Was it difficult for you reliving some of these uh, instances that you went through in the book? Not saying like it's emotional damage or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is you sat on some pretty high file, uh, high profile committees. You, you were uh, grilled several times, you know, yeah. in regards to uh, stuff 
that has to do with the the 2020 presidential election. Was it hard to kind of tell it, uh, you know, to not make it so as emotional as it probably did take quite a toll on you? I actually wrote it contemporaneously. I mean, they really were my notes from what I was doing and experiencing. And then it just turned into a book like it. It really is that way. So it's more of a record rather than a reflection. Um, So it's infuriating to me to go back and read it. You know, I've read it 10 times just looking for stuff and, you know, making sure that everything's in the right order and all that. Sure. But, um, and every time it just makes my blood boil. So, <laughs> you know, so emotional <laughs> damage. Emotional I'm not damage trying to confirmed. deter anybody from reading it, but be prepared to get angry. My, the goal, the, the vibe I'm going for is angry, but empowered. So oh, you'll okay. get angry, but then go do something about it. I like it. Last thing I want to touch on with this, uh, we've joked about it a couple of times, but I really want to get into like a, a little bit of it and have you explain it out for it. Introduction of the book is done by Steve Bannon, uh, yep. one of the biggest pundits out there in, in the political spectrum, you know, disciple of Breitbart. He worked in the Trump administration, uh, got a lot of those America first policies that we would see come to fruition started before he left, right. you know, after the 2018 midterms and now does the war room, uh, how did that go down and what can you tell our listenership who, you know, maybe fans of that uh, wanted, they want to read what he has to say about your book? Yeah. No, Steve Bannon is awesome. He is such a warrior. Um, I originally wasn't, we debated about whether to have a forward, an introduction, you know, kind of not, not sure what to do. And the publisher just said, you know, there's nobody bigger than Steve Bannon who's, kind of attacking this stuff. So what do you think about having him write a, either a forward or an introduction? And I, of course, like was beside myself. I would love to have him participate in this book. So I was like a giddy schoolgirl excited that he was willing to help me with this. Um, and then, you know, he jumped right in. Like he didn't waste any time. He said, absolutely, we've got to save this country. It's an important message. Uh, I mean, he's as anyone would guess, he's exactly like he is on TV and that's how he was in person. And, you know, we just worked together on it and I'm beyond grateful, beyond grateful for what he contributed. I like it. Uh, It looks like Noah wants to know why you like his podcast better than ours. (laughs) (laughs) How how many times did he say apparatus in the forward? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't, that doesn't strike me as something that's in there. (laughs) Okay. After February 1st, I'm going to read the forward before the next show. I'm going to highlight all the times we see the word apparatus, and then I'm going to, I'm going to get a running total for Steak for Breakfast. Christina, we're going to live link everywhere you are on social media and uh, in our show description today, but we also want to be able to direct everyone to the book. So where's the best place to find them, and we'll link them as well. Uh, the easiest place is Amazon. Just look up Christina Bob or Stealing Your Vote, whichever, and it'll it'll come up. Very excited for you. and and your book launch. And we're even more excited to have you back on the show uh, at some point. Now it'll be in February. This is a attorney for the Trump 2024 campaign, soon to be best-selling author, Miss Christina Bob. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you so much. Joining us next on the show today. He is a advisor, senior advisor for the 2024 Trump presidential campaign. One of our great friends, always coming in hot. Mr. Boris Epstein, thanks for joining us on the show. So great to be here. And we are coming in hot. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure, sir. How's everything going with you? What's new in Trump world? Everything is going great. The president has been on absolute fire. The polling is amazing. Emerson polling coming out today. President at 55. DeSantis at 29. The president almost doubling him up. 
And then he's also dominating Joe Biden in the polling. He's beating him across all polls. Harvard Harris is beating Biden, and he's beating Biden in his Emerson poll. So President Trump continuing to be the leader that this country needs and wants right back in the Oval Office. No, you're right there, Boris. And uh, I did see those polls. The Joe Biden one that came out from Harvard, that was the most eye-opening for me. They're usually extremely biased, especially against the 45th president. And I believe they showed Donald Trump having a four or five point clear advantage over the current president right now. So I was really excited to see those. Two of the things that we have saw on the show the last couple of weeks, we played one most recently, was some of the new policy platform videos that he's thrown out. One against combating everything that's going on with the CCP and their meddling across the country. And then one that's always been a staple of Donald Trump's uh, political platform and that's protecting things like Medicare. What can you say about both of those, especially about the CCP, which we're all extremely focused on and know is one of the greatest threats to our democracy? Well, first of all, let me point out, President Trump in the Harvard-Harris poll that you mentioned is beating Biden by five and beats Harris by eight. And then in the Emerson poll, President Trump beating Biden by three, and that's a seven-point swing toward President Trump in just about a month. So President Trump continued to dominate. And those videos you talked about, videos on the CCP, videos about the border, videos on the weapon against weaponization of law enforcement and against the, the boxes hoax that, that's been an attack on President Trump. These videos are resonating unlike anything I've ever seen, along with President Trump's truth, including truth today about, about the Vice President Mike Pence, where President Trump said, hey, Pence is a nice guy, leave him alone, in, re- in, re- in response to the news about documents being found in Pence's, uh, in Pence's home. See, Boris, I want to stick in that thread for just a second. You know, one of the things that I think is is now contributing to these poll numbers is not just how much people miss Donald Trump, like more out there publicly, because we just came out of the holiday season. We know he's all revamped and ready to go for the general election cycle here starting very soon. But the fact of the matter is when we were covering the Biden document scandal, which we'll touch on in a second last week, we did play that video that Donald Trump put out, talked about the two-tier justice system. But, but it's like when you get into that video and it gets into the point to where Joe Biden probably had documents in his garage. As most garages are, the floors are very damp and wet, very bad places to storm. That's what people miss. They miss Donald Trump going off teleprompter, like looking the American voter in the face and talking to them like they're regular people. And and, and it just seems like uh, a lot more excitement around the campaign right now as we know he's getting ready to hit the trail again. Uh, Here's the clear information, and here's the clear truth, truth, and pun intended, right? President Trump's authenticity, President Trump's strength, President Trump's leadership is exactly what the American people want. And they see a total lack of all those and lack of transparency from a hopeless Joe Biden. Look how his team has been decimated by this, by this scandal. Absolutely destroyed. And why? It's clear why. Because they cannot handle anything. They can't handle the border. They can't handle the, the energy. They can't handle oil, oil prices. They can't handle gas prices. They cannot handle the economy. They are a total disaster, and they've been a disaster on this continued, continued absolute scandal on the boxes regarding Biden. And that's, that's the last thing I want to touch on you. President Trump must really be enjoying watching Joe Biden squirm. We've already seen parts of his inner circle starting to crumble away. Obviously, we all know on Friday, Ron Klain made the announcement that he's out of there in early February. We have teased on this show for a long time. We don't think Corrine Jean-Pierre is going to make it much longer. They're just hammering her from all angles 
even the liberal news outlets in the White House press pool every day. And, and, and when you see, and it's been confirmed now, based off when these documents were found and when they were turned over, the FBI, the Department of Justice, again, repressed information, interfered in another major election, and, and tried to do everything they can to, uh, you know, marginalize Donald Trump, which now, according to these polls that we're seeing over the last 24 hours, is resoundingly failing. Uh, what can you say about the document scandal and where do you hypothesize this is going? Here's what I could say. President Trump followed all laws, rules, and regulations under the Presidential Records Act, whereas Joe Biden keeping documents, keeping the, keeping the truth from the American people, and documents going back to his time in the Senate has absolutely yeah. not done so. He's failed to do so. He's failed the American people. And I think him and his crime family have a huge problem. Do you think that we've seen enough information right now that would at least leave you in an opinion fashion only to suggest that Hunter Biden has had some uh, kind of influence over the fact of these documents that are being found? Of course. I mean, look at the point person and all. It's Kathy Chung, yep. who's a confidant of Hunter Biden's. There's email on email on email with her sending information to Hunter Biden. So absolutely, Hunter Biden, there's weird rent payments, strange rent payments to uh, to Joe Biden. For a woman, stay woman at home where documents were found, several troves of documents. Yes, he's in the middle of it all, and it's a total mess for Biden and his crime family. Boris, last thing I want to touch with you on, when can we at least think that we're going to see President Trump getting back on the road and talking to the American people like we uh, are so anticipating? Saturday, my friend, he's in, uh, I think it's been reporting, he's in New Hampshire and South Carolina on Saturday. Yeah, there's going to be some major events, and we'll be providing all the coverage of it on our next Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast. Boris, for everyone that's not following you, I don't know how they could not be at this point. Where can we find you on social medias? We'll live link that and the Trump campaign in the show description today. I really, really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Great to be here. My information, the website is BorisCP.com. Hot on BorisCP.com. Hot on Getter at BorisCP. Twitter at BorisCP. Hot on Two Social at Boris. And the hottest on the gram, Boris underscore Epstein. And, of course, follow President Trump at DonaldTrump.com and all the social media, especially Truth, which is hot as a pistol. Always is, and super hot on steak for breakfast today. This is special assistant to Donald Trump, senior advisor on the 24 campaign, Mr. Boris Epstein. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. God bless you and your audience. You know how you've gotten that chewy, hard, disappointing jerky from the gas station? you got to try some of this jerky we just got from Farmer Bill's. It's soft and tender because it's cured and air-dried instead of dehydrated, like that other junk. Ingredient conscious, there's no sugar, no soy, or other additives, just beef, salt, and spices. Working on those gains, it's protein on the go with a very respectable 32 grams of protein per 2 ounces. That's twice the amount of that other jerky. So if you'd like to support small business and you like your food source in the USA, order some Farmer Bills with the code STEAK for an extra 5 bucks off. Buy a 12-pack, you can get free shipping. The only thing better than this tender jerky is supporting an American-made company that shares your values. Get yourself some Farmer Bills traditionally air-dried beef jerky today. They had found out that there were classified information in Biden's home days before the 2022 election, and they sat on it. That's what I want to understand. And if you come to my house, you'll find Chick-fil-A bags all over the floor, but you're not going to find any classified information. It obviously came out of his vice term as vice president, and that's six years ago. And they've been floating around here and there. And the timeline is all screwed up. We don't know really when they found the documents. We now know that it's been reported that there was an attempt to cover this up. You got the Department of Justice helping to cover this up. At the same time, you've got the, the dichotomous attempt to uh, indict President Trump and go after him. I, I mean, the whole thing is mind boggling and it's been handled uh, really ham handedly. And you just can't help but believe that this was done intentionally to provide the cover-up. Great. 
when you found out that the FBI had located even more classified materials in Wilmington, which four-letter word did you use? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, Peter. Um, <laughs> Uh, president Biden is still intending to run for re-election in 2024, right? Uh, I'll just repeat what the president said after the midterm election, which is he intends to run. I'm going to be very careful from here, as you know, uh, because we are covered by the Hatch Act, and I'm not going to speak further to his process. It's part of a pattern of this president of simply refusing to accept responsibility uh, for his conduct. I mean, yes, he says he has no regrets here. We're even leading Democrats are saying, of course, he's handled this uh, in exactly the wrong way. Uh, but it's the same across the board, you know, when it comes to the economy. He said that we have zero inflation. He said that we're not actually in a recession, even though we meet the textbook definition of a recession. When it comes to the border, his administration has said that the border is secure, even though they continue to break their own records every month, it seems, for the number of illegal border crossings. And so that's exactly what you had to say about Donald Trump and his problems this summer. Take a look. If the uh, nature of this uh of these documents is what appears to be this is very serious a very serious do you think that classified documents showing up in joe biden's office home six years after he was vice president do you think that's also very serious well it depends on the nature of the documents what i said as you were listening was if the nature of these documents is what it appears to be we don't know well, look, I mean, those documents shouldn't have been there. When I look at classified information, being on the House Armed Services Committee, uh, I go to a skiff and I have to give over my phone and I'm not allowed to take any documents outside of the skiff. So uh, I really don't understand uh, how those documents got into a personal residence and we do need answers on that. Uh, another question on the documents. Um, you have said, though, from this podium many, many times over the last two weeks that this president takes the handling of classified material very seriously. And yet we continue to learn about more documents being found and discovered at his home, including now some that go back decades to his time in the Senate. So why should the American people believe that this president takes classified material seriously and the handling of it? Look, the president, the American people heard from the president directly on this when he was asked by your colleagues at least twice now about um, about how he sees this process. And he was very clear what, with, with the response of what we're currently seeing. And he says, I take this very seriously. He said, I didn't know uh, that the documents were there. And that was the... Uh... News that was over the weekend. Welcome to Steak for Breakfast. If you're uh, joining us for the first time, welcome. If you're one of our longtime listeners, welcome back. Don't forget to subscribe to the show across all social media platforms. Just type in Steak for Breakfast Podcast. I'm sure you'll find us. And then make sure you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, subscribe to the show. Give it a rating. Leave a review. And, of course, share all of Steak for Breakfast content. So the uh, classified document scandal for Joe Biden continues to escalate, to say the least, and it doesn't really look like it's going to be getting better anytime soon. Uh, one of the biggest tells and things that we've kind of alluded to throughout the course of this with the administrative state being done with Joe Biden, his pushback being, well, I'm the president, so I'm going to announce that I'm running for re-election. Try and stop me. <laughs> Regardless of how many documents they found as his time uh, as vice president could simply be declassified with a little help from Barack Obama, 
little help from his friends. Mm-hmm. Who's been pretty silent on this lately. But I have I have teased that I do think you'll see some obscure PBS, NPR hit with Obama coming up in the near future. Maybe some obscure podcast where he'll just kind of like blow off the whole situation. Now they've found documents linking back to Joe Biden's senatorial days, which he doesn't have the protection of Barack Obama, which is probably the next play for the administrative state in overallly being done with him. Um, he's not getting any help right now from from friends on either side of the aisle, as, as we've seen Republicans absolutely destroy him everywhere from the halls of Congress to every legacy media evening news show throughout the course of the last couple of weeks. It's the Dems' turns now, and we saw one of the, the leaders, Dick Durbin, was out there over the weekend. He jumped on CNN's State of the Fake Union on Sunday to talk about the ongoing scandal right now and its continuing developments. Let's hear him. Having said that, you are a politician. You've been around for a while, and you understand how these things play out. Um, do you fear that because of that, the current president has kind of lost the high ground on this notion of classified information being where it shouldn't be? Don't try it, Anakin. (laughs) Well, of course. Uh, Let's be honest about it. Uh, When that information is found, it diminishes uh, the stature of any person who is in possession of it, because it's not supposed to happen. Uh, Whether it was the fault of a staffer or an attorney, it makes no difference. The elected official bears ultimate responsibility. And we have to worry, since this uh, new group that has taken over control of the House of Representatives has promised us endless investigations, confrontations, impeachments, and chaos, what's going to happen? I only have one word for those who are dubious as to whether that will happen, and the word is Benghazi. How Mm. long did we spend going through Benghazi hearings in the Republican-controlled House in the past? Now imagine the MAGA Republicans and what they're setting out to do. Uh, I'm sure that they're going to have investigations uh, to our hearts. You know, that's just absolutely loathsome to hear from the senator there to to even throughout the course of Donald Trump and whether or not he declassified or kept classified any documents that wound up at his, as he puts it, ultra secure Mar-a-Lago private residence. Were there any servicemen killed in theater while... Those documents were stored there. I don't think so. No, no I, not that I can recall. Off the top of your head, none, right? No. But for the Benghazi situation, servicemen actually were killed by L- terrorists. Left out to dry. Literally. Yeah. To die, not dry. Mm. Okay. I, I definitely don't see the correlation there that, that Senator Durbin was trying to make, except word except, salad. Except reaching. Yeah, at the very least. And, uh, you know... This whole thing is going to be whatever the Justice Department wants it to be. That's the fact of the matter. And at the end of the day, you know, we're going to be able to get a a lot better perspective on this in just a bit with former acting uh, U.S. Attorney General Matt Whitaker. But Tucker Carlson let in on the now never-ending treasure trove of documents that we seem to be finding in just about everywhere that Joe Biden's ever been. Uh, Last night on his show, let's hear him worded statement over the weekend, they told you that, quote, six items consisting of documents with classification markings have been found in Joe Biden's home. Another tranche. Now, pay close attention to the words. They didn't say six documents. Most media reported over the weekend was six documents, but that's not what they said. They said six items consisting of documents. What the hell is that? A lot of documents. They could have found 
six entire file cabinets full of classified documents. But we don't know because you're not allowed to know because the DOJ and the FBI are not saying anything. <laughs> unlike in previous cases we could mention that you're fully aware of. Instead, they're coordinating all their searches with Joe Biden's lawyers. They're not showing up with helicopters and dogs and AR-15s like they did to Roger Stone and other enemies of the regime. No, no, no. They're being as nice as they can. Mm. What they have said, we can't vouch for because a lot of these people lie and have lied for a long time. And we got more evidence of that today. Almost One of the of senior lie. FBI agents in charge of the Trump collusion probe he was working with Russia, remember that? The agent's name is Charles McGonagall. That same guy has just been charged. <laughs> McGonagall? <laughs> just been charged in apparently collusion with Russia. A money laundering scheme. With Imagine Russia. That. So that's a little bit shocking, right? A Russian oligarch gave this guy money. So this is the same FBI that is now conducting the investigation of Joe Biden. There's a lot going on here. And in the mountain of reporting on this, one thing struck out to us, and it's from Miranda Devine piece in the New York Post today. And in it, she quotes from a long email that Hunter Biden sent to his business partner in 2014 before a trip here comes. to Ukraine. And that email makes it very clear that Hunter Biden was reading classified information he got from his father in violation, clear violation, of federal law. It's very obviously true. And if it can be proven true, and we think it can be proven true, they're done. We're going to have a lot more on that story tomorrow. And uh, that's something that we've alluded to based off of the conversations we've had both on the show and offline with people like Devin Nunes and Cash Patel. Uh, they have talked about from the beginning just a couple things to, to go over all that because the Joe Biden document scandal right now is a smaller component to the larger machine that's going on here. We do need to remember when we're talking about the FBI and the DOJ and any kind of fair and practical one tier of justice, which we do not have in this country currently, all roads do lead back to Russiagate. All of mm -hmm. these senior officials in the DOJ and the FBI, the managers, the supervisors, the top attorney and judges throughout the country, they were all staffers in, in some way, shape, or form, either their offices or they worked as clerks or they were out in the field running disinformation. So this FBI agent, McGonagall, McGarnacle, who received money from a Russian oligarch, ran the Russiagate investigation portion from the New York field office of the FBI, right next to where... Michael Lindell grows his coffee beans? Close. Hillary Clinton had her, her campaign uh, headquarters. Gotta fucking love it. <laughs> Not only that, when you talk about Hunter Biden, we have talked about on this show, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, our conversations with, again, former chief of staff to the DOD, former second-in-command at the DNI, Cash Patel. Um, Hunter Biden is the connectivity tissue in this entire investigation. I don't know how long Joe Biden hasn't had it together. I mean, he's always been a complete moron. And we all know that. He said such off-key and off-color stuff. Mm -hmm. He's allowed people to be around him, and we'll, we'll get to that towards the end of the segment of our cold open right here in just a bit, around him at all the times that have facilitated him lying, and he's been caught so many times. Remember, Joe Biden has had to abandon two other presidential campaigns for being caught plagiarizing materials that he uses his own or lying on his resume. Nobody seems to bring that up very much. Nobody brings it up. 
But the fact of the matter is, we talked about it from the beginning. When you saw what the original tranche of documents were. Tranche. And what countries were connected to them. I believe originally it was Iran. Makes me think pay for play with the Iran deal, the UK. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking all about the steel dossier and yep. the Trump Russia investigation. And then Ukraine mm. money laundering machine goes Bert. Yep. What is the X factor in all of this? It's Hunter Biden and all of his bad business dealings. So you're starting to see it all come together. And, uh, you know, we're really getting into it here. Well, it's just amazing because they've made so much money off these quote unquote bad business dealings. Mm-hmm. But, Nobody wants to hold them accountable because, once again, they're on my team. Right. Uh, it's, that's the absolute truth of it. Former assistant FBI director uh, Chris Swecker was on Fox News this weekend, and he was talking about these priorities here of, of the DOJ and the FBI, uh, what's going on uh, in regards to them and, and you know, Joe Biden's multiple properties where we're finding stuff now and how this seems very, very similar to, we've already mentioned her, Hillary Clinton and the investigation that went on with her and her classified information. Let's hear it. Situation. It reminds me a lot of the Hillary Clinton email investigation where they basically have allowed opposing counsel or counsel for the subject of the investigation to control the investigation while the FBI pretty much sits on the sidelines. I mean, yep. opposing counsel gets to, decide, gets to decide where they search, how they search, how they retrieve the documents, what they do with the documents, and how they hand them over. So it, there, there are just disturbing parallels there between the Hillary Clinton email investigation and, and this entire series of document discoveries. Hill, CBS News is reporting the DOJ is considering searching President Biden's other residences at this point. Why would you? And that has to happen, right? Right. I mean, we, we've seen a situation where we found documents at his office. That's a personal place. We found there are three different discoveries at his home, in his garage, and other places in the house. That's very personal and very accessible. Now, you know, a lot of evidence has been trampled on by the opposing attorneys. We don't know whether they handled the documents and put their own prints on them or smeared prints, DNA, how the, whether the documents were commingled with other personal items which would go to his intent. So, you know, this is, this is a situation where DOJ is marginally involved and the FBI seems to be very much on the sidelines. There should have been searches back in November. So now it's been revealed today, in addition to that information we just heard there. And why wouldn't you be searching all of Joe Biden's other residences? Because at the end of the day, we got to start searching the places that Hunter Biden has had congruently since that time as well. Um, I mean, if they want to search all the other guys, everything, then yeah, let's fucking some let's search some stuff. How about that? Speaking of which, former Trump Vice President Mike Pence has announced today that he has discovered some. Classified materials in one of his Indiana residences. Mm. So I, I don't know where that kind of goes from here. Uh, it, it, well, I mean, it sounds like they're just trying to devalue the fact that people are finding all these documents. Yeah, they certainly like, are. Uh, no, this is normal. Everybody's got them, which we know everybody does have them. But that was a whole entire facade that they were mounting against Trump is that he was so irresponsible and the most awful orange man ever. Will they ever try to get or attempt to pin something on, let's just say, Donald Trump that they already haven't done. <laughs> right? It's so bad. And uh, what's even worse is, is is how the Justice Department has been all but silent on this. Um, I don't know if it is or is not Merrick Garland's job to give updates, but we all know from hearing the press, like, basically 
Pitchfork and Torch KJP every day at the podium. She it's ref- getting good. I love it. She refers them to the Office of the Special Counsel. She refers them to the Office of the U.S. Justice Department, and they all say, well, they're not telling us anything. I'd like to just refer you to anybody but me. Merrick Garland was not an event yesterday, and he did give a brief statement on the overall of this current open investigation continuing and and ever developing of it and no i'm pretty sure we've made it through about like 15 minutes of news so far we haven't hit the garrison button yet you may or may not want to fire it up because let's hear the attorney general they uh ensure that we adhere to the rule of law these mean among other things that we do not have different rules for democrats or republicans different rules for the powerful or the powerless different rules for the rich or for the poor we apply uh, the facts and the law in each case in a neutral, nonpartisan manner. Uh, that is what we uh, always do, and that is what we do in the uh, matters that you're referring to. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I, yeah, I was waiting for the perfect moment. It never came. We don't have to separate rules for the rich and the poor, for the uh, powerful and non-powerful. For the, the peasants and the, I mean, sorry, did I say peasants? Nobody asked him about the J6 defendants that have been oh. sitting in jail without due process for the last two years. How is that still a thing? I don't understand how that's still happening. Oh, I, I could tell you how it's still a thing. No, but I mean, I know how it's still a thing, but why is this not like, why aren't people up in arms? Oh, because it's an unpopular thing to talk about. So they're just trying to distance. Everybody who's even on the, the side of us is trying to distance themselves from that thing because... Wait, so you think it was a good a good thing that people stormed the Capitol? And they're like, well, no, but these people shouldn't be in jail forever. So you're saying, oh, so you, so you can down it. So you can down it then. <laughs> he, he condones it. Next question. Next question. No, it's true. So, you know, we're not getting any straight answers out of the DOJ. Why would we? We never have in, in the past. And, and we all know since, you know, for, for the last... Just take the, a couple years during the Trump administration, everything for, for decades before it and, and to present day now has been nothing but word salad, two-way speak, misinformation, and non-answers. And, and we won't be getting that anytime soon from them. I mean, w- we could even get to dispositions and let's say both special counsels, they could be polar opposites of each other. Donald Trump indicted, lied, corruption. They could say whatever they want. And Joe Biden, accident, really old man. We feel sorry for him. Don't talk about his son. He's fighting, you know, combating addiction and all this other stuff. And the Justice Department will never get any real oversight or investigation into him. And Merrick Garland, as his advanced age, will just be gone with the wind shortly after these things are probably done. Um, for as many or as few special counsels as we have had over the course of modern politics, to have two at the same time regarding the same thing, it's just really unprecedented. And, and, and we don't talk about it enough how, you know, when you say weaponized, weaponization, of our federal law enforcement agencies and all adjacents. This is exactly what we mean. Uh, they, they try to use the powers that be and, and things they have at their disposal to crush their opponents. And then when, well, somebody on their team winds up doing the same thing, oops, they do it with the biggest set of kid gloves possible. But it, like I said, this isn't going away. And now that Joe Biden's being so upfront and transparent, he's got no regrets. No regrets. We're going to continue the slow drip of this. Let's hear uh, CNN weigh in. 
The White House strategy today is downplay, but the playbook might need a refresh after FBI agents discovered even more classified documents in President Biden's Delaware home this weekend. If you're losing track of where the story stands, here's how we got here. On November 2nd, the first batch of documents was found mm -hmm. inside of Biden's private office in Washington, D.C., Two days later, the National Archives notified the Justice Department. And then on November 9th, the DOJ launched its probe. Fast forward to December on the 20th. Biden's lawyers searched his garage in Wilmington, Delaware, and found more documents. On January 5th, Attorney General Garland was briefed, and the public learned of the story four days later. Biden's Wilmington home was searched again on the 11th, and more documents were found. A special counsel was named the next day, and five more documents were found in yet another search in Delaware. And that brings us to this past Friday, an unprecedented 13-hour FBI search of a sitting president's home that, yes, has already been searched at least three times, and six more documents found in that search. This drip, drip, drip is getting harder for Democrats to defend. Now, the thing is, like, how come, how come it's a, a, a search when it happens to him, but it's a raid when it happens to the other guy? Yeah, it's everything that uh, combats democracy when it's against Donald Trump. You, you did hear the difference between the two different legacy media outlets on, on the both ends of this cold open right now that Tucker Carlson led in with. One of the biggest things you aren't hearing in the media is when they say, like, let's just say five more documents, six more documents were found. That's not the case. They found six more things that had classified markings on them. That's not one page. It could be a box. It could be a filing cabinet. It could be a snap-on tools, uh, you know, racing cabinet. And uh, it, it's one of those things where people are getting this information, but the way they're getting it is just filtered two totally different ways. Yeah. You know, Tucker wants accountability. He wants transparency and oversight and he just wants to like at least let everybody know this is what's going on then you have outlets like we saw state of the fake union cnn's weekend roundup cbs sunday morning show and all this other bullshit in between over the course of the weekend that brought on people like dick durbin and several other so-called experts to tell you that it's not good but it's not bad and that's kind of you know you have to look at what are the other factors right now that are contributing to this situation that makes you think the Titanic is definitely going down for Joe Biden. Well, we start to hear mentions of Hunter Biden's name more frequently connected to this. We've already pointed that out on, on several occasions. And uh, we do think at the end of the day, that's going to be a massive component of this, probably equal to Joe Biden having possessions of these, of these documents when he shouldn't have. But the other thing is, what's his team looking like right now? You know, they're pretty beat up about this. KJP can't go anywhere without getting berated. We saw Merrick Garland make a comment when he didn't want to earlier in the segment. And then, you know, Joe Biden returned from wherever he was uh, over the weekend yesterday, walked across the White House lawn. Everybody was hammering him. He just held Jill's hand and probably pooped his pants and went right into the White House. Sat right on that white sofa. But Joe Biden top handler, what? Ron Klain, announced on Friday that he will be stepping down from his post as chief of staff to the president Oops! in the beginning of February. I, I did want to remind our listenership that usually when it's things with regimes like Joe Biden's, it's only going to get worse. As we might see this as a win, we're losing Ron Klain. He's a huge proprietor of disinformation, loves to go on all the cable news outlets and just spin, 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 economy mm -hmm. great, border secure. We're taking back Crimea with our tanks, everything in between. Joe Biden didn't do anything wrong because he's being 
honest, upfront, and transparent about it. Uh, we do want to remind you, though. Wait, you mean so somebody contacted Joe Biden and asked him to just put another lock on his classified documents next to the Corvette? Well, one of the boxes they were found had packing tape wrapped around it. Oh, perfect. Was and, it? And it said important docs and pictures. It was the one in the garage. Oh, the, hmm. from the New York Post. It was like written with magic marker. Yeah. It's completely That's fine. Class, classified markings? You know, if you cut the tape, you got to start over. Oh, shit. Mm. Jeff Zeintz, and Noah's going to be busting back out his... Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that guy. It's an oldie but goodie, is going to be the new White House Chief of Staff. He is probably best remembered for things like this. For the unvaccinated, you're looking at a winter of severe illness and death. For yourselves, your families and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. So our message to every American is clear. There is action you can take to protect yourself and your family. Mm. Wear a mask in public indoor settings. Get vaccinated. Get your kids vaccinated. And get a booster shot when you're eligible. Scissor me timbers. That guy sounds like Mayorkas. Or no, no. Yeah, he sounds like Mayorkas. They all went to the same school of talking. Um, yes, and well, get your kids vaccinated and a booster whenever you need it. What's his name again? Zainz. Zainz! There you go. <laughs> Man, that's garage days is, yeah. is when, you know, the last time. But he's in, and he'll be the new White House chief of staff, so business as usual for the regime. And uh, he will be probably, he, he's a bully, and, and he's, he's a big talking head. And, and he's going to get his point across that this regime is doing everything great. And he will probably be pushing out a lot of the current top administration special assistance. Here's the big difference. When you had special assistance to the president while Donald Trump was in office, you had some bulldogs. You did have Steve Bannon. You had Max Miller. Mm-hmm. Cash Patel. It's a pretty solid lineup right there. Um, in addition to, to Ron Klein, who's who's leaving, you, you have people like this. And as we're rounding up the cold open here, let's hear uh, this guy. Give us a sense of how many classified documents we are now talking about total across all three locations. Sure, it's a good question. And, and actually, the answer to it is a little bit complicated because of this point guys that I'm making about the integrity of an ongoing Justice Department investigation. The Justice Department is going to be looking at all sorts of questions like that throughout their investigation. We want to be very, very careful to be respectful of the integrity of that investigation, to not speak too much about the underlying contents and materials, uh, especially things that we may not know. Mm -hmm. Yes, we just don't want to talk about it to, you know, that way the general public doesn't understand how important these documents potentially are. Yeah, and what exactly they pertain to. So, I mean... mean, Like things that, you know, maybe a crackhead... Mm son who's a figurehead for a Ukrainian oil company oh. might be interested in. Friend of oligarchs? Oligarchs? What was his name? McGonagall? <laughs> McGonagall. <laughs> oh, boy. Listen, you can't make this stuff up. However, they literally are making it up as they go. <laughs> Although we aren't experts, we just report on the ones who supposedly claim they are. We're about to sit down with an actual one who's going to give us all a little bit more clear picture into this whole situation. Joining us next on the show today, he's the former acting U.S. Attorney General, one of our favorite guests, Mr. Matt Whitaker. Thanks for coming on today. 
So glad to be with you. Oh, no, it's our pleasure, sir. How's everything going with you? Good, good. I've been uh, sort of just being able to hang out uh, in Iowa, and uh, it's my home, and I just enjoy uh, the time. Even though it's cold and snowy, I just still enjoy the time that I get to spend uh, off the road. Well, you know, from based off all your other appearances on the show, it seems like you're, uh, for the most part, in between plane rides every time you come on here. So to hear you say that you've been able to relax for a moment, uh, it should be pretty relieving to our listenership to hear because you you are a pretty busy man. Um, I I have noticed that, uh, you know, you are still very well connected to the president. I know he's a great friend of yours and you love serving in the Trump administration. The fact of the matter is heading into the holidays. Last time we talked to you, there was a lot of people, social media influencers, major facets in the uh, legacy media who were taking pot shots at Donald Trump, maybe calling for inactivity or the inability to get things rolling in regards to 2024. However, since the last time we've talked to you, he's rolled out more than a half a dozen amazing policy videos. And uh, based off of all the sources I've talked to close to the president, he's getting ready to rock and roll here as we're almost done in the month of January. What can you tell us and what are you looking forward to as Donald Trump's getting ready to hit the road again? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of interesting things. You're going to see rallies increase. You're going to see, um, you know, his campaign activity increase. I think he's, you know, obviously very serious about um, a rematch with Joe Biden and, and demonstrating, uh, you know, his superior policies. Obviously, the gift that keeps giving is the uh, classified document situation that couldn't be have broken in a better way. Uh, you know, for Trump and demonstrate, you know, just how the two-tiered system of justice uh, plays out on a national scale. You know, in my view from Iowa and the Iowa caucuses is it's still pretty early uh, in the process. There's a lot of people sniffing around. It appears nobody wants to be the first man in to, <laughs> or woman in uh, to take him on, though. No, you make some excellent points there. I mean, we have seen Nikki Haley and Mike Pompeo, obviously Mike Pence, all but tease. Uh, John Bolton kind of threw his name in the ring, but that's just as laughable as, you know, John Bolton running for president in totality because, uh, man, it's uh, it'd, it'd be pretty funny to see someone who was one of the biggest White House leakers go out there and try to be on the same debate stage with Donald Trump when, as the <laughs> sitting president, he has all of the receipts before uh, he parted ways with Mr. Bolton. So it is making for an interesting uh, pre-campaign season now. But uh, you did mention the Joe Biden classified document scandal, which is where I want to start with you today. Uh, it has kind of spiraled out of control. We've taken the narrative on this show. It, it may or may not be yours, and we'd like to hear your take on it, that you know, big big facets of the administrative state are, are done with the Biden administration. They've kind of used him for everything they can. And um, I think at some point there was probably some meetings where Joe Biden said, well, you know, I, I still want to run for president again. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, we had a deal or, you know, we're, we're going to look in a different direction. And, and Joe Biden started teasing it. And that's when the documents started leaking. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's pretty funny how when the administrative state is done with somebody, they kind of just cast them out as trash. But uh, based off of all the stuff we've seen and you've seen as someone who, you know, was the uh, acting attorney general of the United States, what's your what's your take on it so far? It looks like it's kind of spiraling out of control. And I don't think they could put the toothpaste back in the tube here. Yeah, that's a good question. I really look at this situation as very much a, um, you know, a a clumsy um, president who apparently has very sticky fingers when it comes to classified information. I mean, Joe Biden uh, had classified documents 
dating back to his time in the Senate, which is extraordinary. I just think of, you know, even when I was at the top of the Department of Justice, how difficult it would have been to walk out with classified documents. And, you know, quite frankly, how um, like freaked out I would have been (laughs) with the idea of having any classified documents at my personal residence or even in my, you know, non DOJ office. I mean, that stuff uh, was uh, put away every night if it was out. I mean, and oftentimes uh, almost always reviewed in a skiff to start with. I just, I just think it's extraordinary that he had such a cavalier attitude. And, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, lucky thing for Joe Biden, quite frankly, is he doesn't seem uh, to have people believe what he says anyway. Yeah. And so he doesn't have to sometimes explain the very serious issues because nobody thinks he's telling the truth at any, any given time or even, you know, cognizant of what the truth is. But, I, you know, this situation, I don't know yet that it's a deep state revolt. I mean, I certainly do believe um, that there are those in the Democrat Party that Joe Biden their first choice and they kind of reluctantly had to go with them because of the way the primary sorted out in 2020. But that being said, I don't know who the alternative is. I, I, I don't think there's a groundswell for Kamala Harris or Gavin Newsom or any other left wing uh, candidate like a Pete Buttigieg. I, I just think it's um, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know what the alternative is. So I think Joe Biden is probably going to be their nominee solely because it's hard to shoehorn out a president we've seen you know obviously the best example is probably nixon uh what happened there but uh you know the mainstream media is starting to show a little bit of um desire to uh to go against biden but i don't think that ultimately that's going to be successful it's gonna it would be really messy yeah i don't disagree with you there and uh we've kind of thought the alternative to Joe Biden would be someone like a Gavin Newsom. I don't know if he has the caliber to run and, you know, represent California on a national level based off of how awful of a governor he's been over the course of his tenure out here where we're located down in San Diego. But the fact of the matter is, if you just look at like a bait and switch situation, you would literally get someone who's trying to push all of these America last globalist green related policies onto the American people who could probably articulate it in a little bit better fashion, obviously than Joe Biden can. And that's pretty much all you'd be getting with someone like a Gavin Newsom. Um, but no, I, I do agree with you. So just to be sure, I mean, you talked about your, yourself and, and handling some classified materials. So, you know, pretty much under lock and key, definitely uh, observed in places like a skiff. So a cardboard box wrapped in packing tape, next to the Corvette, that's probably not the best way to have stored these documents? No, nor to transfer them uh, <laughs> or otherwise, yeah, maintain them. I mean, if you think about it, I think we have at least possibly four locations where classified documents were found. And these are not just like, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton not knowing what a, a C within the parentheses is. This is things with cover sheets, things yeah. that are obviously... Uh, protected uh, as national secrets. And these were sort of strewn about, uh, to your point, we were in his you know, Penn Biden Center. They were in um, his house. They were, you know, in his garage, as you mentioned, they were in his, his library. And then, you know, there may have been another location based on this last um, uh, FBI search. So it's, I mean, it's, I've never seen somebody that was such a cavalier approach to, um, 
to classify documents. I mean, it really it's going it's going to dog him. I don't just don't think that the Democrat Party throws him under the bus because uh, there is nobody that's that's that probably could win nationwide. Yeah, it does change the dynamics of the of the actual general election race when you take Joe Biden out of the mix there and and kind of insert somebody else who who hasn't been on a national level as far as campaigning and stuff over the course of the last half decade. That does make a lot of sense. Now c- compare this what uh with the Donald Trump stuff right now. There's there's a lot of uh things at the at the legal level that that differentiate what's going on with Joe Biden in regards to uh, what happened with President Trump, regardless of the way the Justice Department and, and the FBI made the optics look and how everybody kind of doomed on TV over it. It's just another round of, you know, orange man bad and Trump is finished. We all know those necessarily weren't ever the cases when you look at it on a legal basis. But how much of a difference is, is this now, especially with the stuff going back to Joe Biden's senatorial days? Yeah, so I, I think it's there's a lot of interesting questions on are these apples and apples or is there something different? I mean, I think on the one hand, you know, you're dealing with ultimately the question of mishandling of classified information. I think uh, when you take a step further, you get into some very interesting issues, especially as it relates to Donald Trump. And the interesting issues are, you know, most of the documents that were uh, grabbed when they went to Mar-a-Lago were what they, what the archives, remember, not the FBI, the National Archives said right. presidential records. You know, Trump said they were personal records. So that's a that's an entirely different question than what Joe Biden's dealing with here, which is purely classified information. And the second question, I think, is, um, uh, is ultimately why there will not be any charges against Donald Trump. And that is, as president, he had a broad latitude to declassify documents. And uh, he didn't have to follow the process uh, for declassification that other employees do because all everything uh, in the executive branch is there to serve the president, who's the unitary executive of the Constitution. There's no rule, uh, essentially, uh, that the executive branch could pass that the president couldn't waive as it applied to him. Now, I'm not saying that laws uh, don't apply to the president. And that's, I'm not saying he's above the law. I'm saying as it relates to the handling or declassification, those are fully executive branch processes put in place by the executive branch and therefore under the power that some bureaucrat had uh, derivative from the president. So I don't think uh, that that's, that issue is going to be able to be sorted through by Jack Smith, the special counsel, and give him the confidence that he would somehow charge Donald Trump. And remember, I mean, right now, the number, I mean, you know, the scope of the of the documents, it, the, the, the date range is much broader as it relates to Joe Biden. And, you know, quite frankly, um, you know, we're talking about probably the same similar number of pages once you exclude all of the, you know, presidential records slash personal records uh, in the Donald Trump case. And so I just uh, it's, I, you know, they can't they're not gonna be able to charge Donald Trump. Ultimately, I, there's just not the evidence to do it. And the law is, um, you know, pretty clear that they're not going to be able to build a case beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah, there's so many people who talk about indictments coming and all the other stuff. But when you look at everything from, you know, Donald Trump being a Russian asset, which we knew was completely nuked after the findings or lack thereof from the uh, Mueller investigation all the way up through Trump's taxes, which was probably the biggest nothing burger of the holiday season after years of saying Trump is finished because of those. 
this will probably be exactly the same way. They'll say, you know, we got them until they don't got them. And then moving forward, they'll probably do what the right thing is. And if they really have issues with these documents being in certain places, and, and we all should because of the level of classification and, and where people like Joe Biden uh, consequently stored them in, want to adjust some of the rules and stuff for, for either sitting presidents or vice presidents or whoever on who can have them, where they can store them and this, that, and the other thing, then they'll probably move towards a more workable solution, which we, you know, continue to see. It's a very reactionary instead of, you know, mm -hmm. just, just actually getting to the bottom of it. You did mention the special counsel. We do have a tale of two of them now. Jack Smith's heading up the Donald Trump one. And uh, we have uh, Robert Hur, who's going to lead up to the uh, Joe Biden one once they figure out just about where and how many more classified documents they could find. Uh, we had Devin Nunes on the show on Friday, and, and he was extremely animated and, you know, laying out the fact of the matter is, is the Justice Department had probably a pool of tens of thousands of people, both currently employed and retired, uh, to head up this special counsel for Joe Biden. But in, but instead of picking anybody kind of with a down-the-road middle partisanship, they went and found someone who was directly tied to the Mueller investigation. I just wanted to kind of get your feelings on that and where you think it's going to kind of go as it starts to get kicked off. Yeah, I think it's a couple of interesting things that I've noticed is, you know, first of all, you know, Rob Herr, who's the special counsel's relationship to Joe Biden, uh, was named, but he's actually not doing the job yet. I don't think he's going to be there until probably the beginning of February because he's got to wrap up his law practice at Gibson Dunn, which is a big law firm in the a national law firm with a D.C. office that he works out of. Um, you know, Rob and I were at the Department of Justice at the same time. I worked directly with him before he became the U.S. attorney in Maryland. Uh, he was the Paydag, the uh, principal assistant deputy attorney general, working directly as the right-hand man for uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. And, you know, I mean, that I think you're right. I think, you know, when when Mueller was appointed uh, as a, you know, uh, against Donald Trump, and there's the, that's the only way to say it, um, you know, Mr. Hur was certainly involved in that decision-making. I mean, Rod made the decision, but I, I, he would certainly seek advice from his principal de assistant deputy. And so that's an interesting data point uh, to, you know, the point that Devin made. And I think the second thing is, you know, um, the swamp is an interesting place, but it, whether you're, you know, Democrats or Republican, in my experience, especially that permanent class of, of, of consultants and attorneys, uh, you know, is very fluid. They all know each other. They're all interrelated. It's very, you know, to to use a great word swampy uh and i think i think there should be some suspicion of these people that come out of the swamp and are appointed to these special roles because ultimately uh you know i mean you could argue they're there to protect the republic but you know i mean it, it certainly appears to me that they're there to protect uh you know the insiders in washington dc including a creature of the swamp himself joe biden who's been here you know, probably longer. I mean, I guess he's been here since I was about five years old. <laughs> and before it was, I was alive shortly before I was alive, but still before I was alive, which is kind of amazing to see his uh, collective body of work or lack thereof. There's so many broad strokes of what he's been a part of on, on both sides of the, uh, 
you know, Spectrum, in addition to a whole lot of lying in between there, it's kind of hard to see uh, or maybe see exactly what the swamp and, and the administrative state, everything that's going on at the Justice Department mm-hmm. is trying to do. And if Joe Biden is to survive this, it will be because handlers with kid gloves will make sure that he uh, can can get away with it. How much do you think Hunter Biden gets spun into this? I mean, everything from the amount of money that was on the lease at one of the homes where classified documents were found all the way up to you know, we saw CNN do an expose. I don't know if you caught it last week where they talked about, you know, they've kept playing the clip over and over of Joe Biden saying, I have never talked to my son about his personal business dealings. And then they went through, I think, 14 different business associates who have either been to Joe Biden's private residence or the White House while he served as VP, uh, all connected to Hunter Biden's personal business dealings. Do you think he winds up spinning any of his misdoings into the current case with his father? Like maybe there was a pay for play with classified documents in regards to, you know, getting business deals and stuff like that. Or do you think they'll at the end of the day be two totally separate cases? Yeah. And this is where um, I think it was one of the most interesting uh, questions that nobody is willing to answer, uh, even though they, you know, usually leak like a sieve, at least it relates to Donald Trump. And that is, is what was the contents of these documents? I mean, these documents, could be very interesting if they had anything to do with uh, Hunter Biden or his business associations. I mean, that that would be obviously a game changer. And we don't know. Uh, obviously, these documents, Joe Biden felt they were interesting enough to keep them. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, to my point earlier, I just don't think you, you accidentally include uh, classified documents with your kind of you know, the documents you take home from work every day, right. or I, I just, it just doesn't seem like that would be the case. Um, so I think there's still a lot of questions. Uh, Hunter Biden obviously has his own investigation going on. We've seen crimes with our own eyes from his laptop. Um, uh, so it'll be very interesting um, what happens in that case. But remember, all of these cases uh, have a statute of limitations that's running. And, you know, if they if a case isn't brought, um, you know, coming out of crimes relating back to 2016, 2017, for example, I mean, that statute uh, is a, usually a five year statute under federal law. And so uh, it could be time barred uh, from bringing charges. That would be extraordinary. Uh, and I can't imagine DOJ lawyers making that mistake. But um, I certainly would want to see more action and activity than what we have seen to date. Yeah, if Hunter Biden does wind up being the connectivity uh, tissue here between this and on all the other things that have happened uh, regarding some of the, well, a, a lot of the business dealings with the Biden family over the course of the last couple of decades, this could be one of the biggest, and I don't want to say it like the legacy media does, but this could be one of the biggest cases uh, in the history of modern politics. Uh, it, it would be one of the most prominent, now who's sitting in the most prominent position in the United States, the executive of the pretty much the free world, and his son had been running you know, all this crazy stuff regarding their business dealings behind the scenes for years, and now it's finally starting to come out. So we're going to be definitely tuning in and uh, definitely trying to see what happens in regards to that. Last thing I wanted to ask you about, Matt, was uh, your podcast is is cranking out episodes at at a record pace right now. It's hard for me to keep up between you and Devin and Cash. You guys all decided, you know, decided to start putting out so many episodes, but uh, I I do do tend to listen just as much as I can. You want to let our listenership know what's going on with your podcast right now and what's going on uh, or maybe some stuff that's coming down the pike in uh, the next few months? Yeah, so we started uh, season two. Um, You know, first of all, I had to determine whether I wanted to continue it uh, as, you know, anything. Uh, was it worth my time and effort? And I and I found myself that I enjoyed it a lot. So the first three episodes of this year, which is season two, uh, you know, we had uh, 
the former ambassador to South Africa on. We had a former NFL player who has an extraordinary life story named Frank Murphy, just a great uh, individual uh, American with just a tremendous uh, story of overcoming um, you know, his, his, his origins and being just a great philanthropist now. And then uh, this last week we had uh, Dr. Ben Carson and yep. had a great discussion on the future of the conservative movement. So it's been a good year so far. I think you know you should expect uh, this year will be um, more of the same. Just really interesting guests, uh, just having a conversation about really the future of our republic. Um, and you know how do we how do we get back to the principles of our founding fathers? Yeah, it's uh, something that, you know, one of the things we always talk about uh, at the end of our show is we give our, our listening audience a, a short list of four things they need to do between now and the next episode. And one of them is always we need to start talking about American greatness again. As President Trump always says, we don't talk about it enough. It's time to get back to talking about that again. Mr. Attorney General, this has been great, as usual, sitting down with you, getting so much information out in a short amount of time for our listenership to kind of digest right now. We'll, of course, be looking forward to your next appearance on Steak for Breakfast. But in the meantime, anywhere that anybody who's not already following you wants to, we'll live link it in the show description today. Yeah, everything I'm doing is at Whitaker.tv, including all my uh, television appearances, podcasts, uh, and the like. So uh, check Whitaker.tv out, uh, everything on social media at Matt Whitaker 46 Yeah, this is... Uh, been a pleasure, and uh, I hope you get a little bit more rest before you get busy again. But uh, like I said, we'll definitely be looking forward to your uh, next appearance on, on Steak for Breakfast. This is the former acting U.S. Attorney General, Mr. Matt Whitaker. Thanks for joining us on the show. All right. Thank you so much. Joining us next on the show, he's an RNC National Committeeman. Does a lot of great work with Turning Point Action as well. Joining us for the first time, Tyler Boyer. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Happy to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. So you're in the midst of a busy week here. We know we got a huge vote coming at the end of the week. Ms. Harmeet Dillon's been a guest on our show several times uh, talking about her candidacy running for the RNC chair. Where are we standing on kind of a national picture or maybe even a little bit more pinpoint base in Arizona heading into the vote this week? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, this thing's a lot closer than I think Ron ever expected it to be, um, you know, how this how this whole start how, whole thing started two years ago uh rana decided to run for re-election i think a lot of people were shocked that she wanted to run for re-election and it was you know because obviously we we lost and you know typically an rnc chair doesn't run for re-election after you lose a presidential that's just like doesn't happen very frequently yeah <laughs> and and so like because a lot of people are upset and so no one challenged Rana. There was no challenges at all because she had kind of whipped the votes because she had done a lot of things. Remember, I mean, the RNC chair, if you're running an effective operation internally, you make a lot of friends with a lot of members. And so she kind of had that, right? And so she decided to run and she promised everyone that she wouldn't run again. This would be it. And so surprise, surprise, all of a sudden, you know, about, you know, two years later, this, this election cycle, a number of the RNC members that were friends with her started whipping votes and support for her to run again. And, and a lot of people were like, wait a minute, you know, two years ago, Rhonda said that this would be her last run. She told everybody that publicly, like that was it. What is going on here? And nobody really thought, you know, there was a number of people I think that were thinking about running uh, for the RNC chair, but that were outside of the RNC, um, you know, and a few inside, but you know, also many outside. And then when she decided to run, everyone was like, wait, hold the phone. This is crazy. And uh, that's obviously when 
We had this scenario with our beloved Congressman Lee Zeldin from New York was thinking about it and uh, so many others. And so that's how we kind of got here. And, you know, I don't think Harmeet Dillon was originally thinking about running, but when that happened, you know, many of the members on the RNC, it's kind of a internal club type thing. You, you really only trust that you know, a member of, of the 168, the 168 voting members of the RNC to run especially against an incumbent. So uh, I think that that's where RNC got at, our Harmy got asked by a lot of RNC members to think about running. And, and that was late, late in the game compared to where Rana was, where I think she thought she had this thing locked up. Um, and now we're in a position where, and I'm sorry, this is kind of a long way around the story, but I'd like to frame it a little bit better for people. You know, Harmy has just slowly and diligently kind of peeled off support from Rana where people originally thought that she was the only the only show in town, have now spent a lot of time, significant time with Harmeet, who's pretty well respected in the in, in the RNC as it is. So uh, Harmeet right now, I think, is within striking distance of, of winning. Um, I think there's probably about 25 members, 30 members of the RNC who uh, are really seriously contemplating who to vote for. And a lot of that's going to be kind of figured out over the next 72 hours in, in California. What do you think it's going to take to get Harmeet over the top? I, I know in, in votes like this, and, and it's kind of bare similarities to things like the Speaker of the House, we didn't see Kevin McCarthy hold as much of a, you know, payback for dragging out the Speaker of the House vote as we may see with something like the RNC chair. But the fact of the matter is there are probably people within the committee who are worried that they're not going to either get support or uh, financial contributions, access to vendors and things like that. If they openly go against Rana, we, we know it's like a, a secret vote, but you know, and, and then she still wins. She's obviously going to know if there's like, let's just say 40 or so votes for Harmeet Dillon. And, and she's still able to be the RNC chair. Uh, Ron is probably going to try and figure out who who the people were and and hold that against them. We we have seen you openly uh, express some concerns in regards to things like money. We we talked about your tweet earlier that said you know Arizona's getting considerably less now than they did let's just say in the 2018 election cycle, and that's something that's a big concern to us here on the show. Who who's an America First program that knows that. There's a simple equation that leads to 270, and there's five or six swing states that those, you know, that equation builds up, and one of those is Arizona. So, what do you think Harmeet needs to do to ensure these people that their vote is not only safe, but it's the change in direction that we need within the committee now? I mean, Ronna McDaniel's receipts are out there. She rode the wave of Michigan in 2016 into the chairmanship, and since then has been less than mediocre in her success rate as far as elections right. go, which includes a presidential. No, I mean, uh, let me take you through it real quick. And this is why the tweet that came back from you guys, I thought was totally off base that you just, you know, was, was just wrong was because Arizona received in 2018 when it wasn't a target state twice as much money after Biden inflation than when we got in 2022. So if you want to, if you want an equation of how to lose America, it's have an RNC chair or a Mitch McConnell or a Kevin McCarthy that invests less money in, in new target states, right? Like Arizona by all purposes now is Ohio of 2000, of 2000, right? Mm -hmm. Arizona is now arguably, you know, in the same position as Florida in the 2000s. 
that's where we're at. Because if you look at the numbers, you just broke it down. You're right. 100%. The, there's only six states. If, if you assume that we win Ohio and Florida, which are looking pretty good for us, there's only six states that matter to get to 270. The RNC's job, if, if, you, if we agree here, the RNC's job, number one, is to win the presidency for Republicans, right? Yes. Like, would you agree? Like, that's the number one job. Like, everybody, like, anyone with a brain, you know, believes that that's the job of the RNC. So, like, if you look at the six states, the six states that matter there's only there's only seven scenarios that can play out that win us the presidency the most likely is arizona georgia wisconsin in my opinion the second most likely is pennsylvania georgia wisconsin third is pennsylvania arizona georgia fourth pennsylvania arizona wisconsin fifth georgia wisconsin michigan sixth arizona wisconsin michigan seventh nevada georgia michigan so you basically have to win three states uh, you know, you don't have to win three states necessarily if you if you win Pennsylvania uh, of the other remaining states. But you have to basically win any combination of those three states in order to win the presidency. Well, if you look at the numbers out of those scenarios, Georgia and Wisconsin both require are 72 percent of those scenarios. Arizona is 57 percent of the scenarios. Pennsylvania is 42 percent. Michigan's 42 percent. Nevada is 14 percent. So if you just look at this with just like a head on your shoulders and say, okay, what are the most important states? Will you rank those? Well, Georgia and Wisconsin are the most important. Arizona's third most important. Pennsylvania's fourth most important. Michigan's fifth most important. And Nevada's sixth most, most important. Well, if that's the case, if if you know, just this is, I mean, this is just facts. I'm just, I'm just laying out, right? This is just like, this is the scenarios. They're facts. This is accepted. This is like law of gravity stuff. If Arizona's third most important, how in the world are you only funding it at half as much money as you did in 2018 when it was like maybe like 15th most important? No, those are some excellent points, and those those are literally the numerical facts. I just think some of the big frustration that comes, let's just say we're talking presidential elections here out of Trump world is, and this doesn't have anything to do with you personally or the work that like people like Charlie and Turning Point have done in Arizona. You guys have really set the bar high and are doing more on a national level for you know not only awareness but taking the Republican Party in regards to voting and um, membership inclusion and grassroots activism to levels that we've never seen seen before but but as trump adjacent as we are and as close we are with with people on the trump team they just have some frustrations with the dysfunctionality of the way arizona's acted in elections over the last couple of cycles which doesn't necessarily have anything to do with you or even the candidates like blake masters and carrie lake did this show a dozen times during the midterm election cycles and gave some of the longest most open interviews that talked about so much outside of their campaign platforms as like people that we supported in those election cycles. But the fact of the matter is, is at the end of the day, it's the results. So what has, what is the problem with Arizona right now in regards to getting these elections under control to where we don't run into things like we saw with the midterm elections in 2024? Well, that, that's the point, right? So, so in 2018, Democrats weren't funding. So th- this is the exact point, right? So if Democrats are funding 10 times more money into your state, Do you think you're going to win the election if you do nothing? If you do no increases at all? Like the biggest, the two biggest things, I mean, look at the, look at, look at Carrie and Abe's race right now. Mm -hmm. Carrie Lake and Abe Hamaday 
Uh, we'll start there and then we'll get into the tier two, which is Blake Masters and, and Mark Fincham. Carrie and Abe, if they if we would have just bought equal time on TV as what the Democrats played, which which legally they have to give it. So if you legally they have to give you equal time on TV if you can buy it, right? If do you think my question for everyone that I talk to, do you think that we would have a Carrie Lake and Abe Hamaday elected if we would have bought equal time on TV? Absolutely. Just alone. Absolutely. What that's just it. So let's just start there. Now, let's look at what the Democrats are doing on the ground. They funded to the tune of over $100 million in the state. We know what Mark Kelly was doing. We know what Mark Kelly's team was doing, the team supporting Mark Kelly. They were going in and ballot chasing, not ballot harvesting necessarily, but ballot chasing, meaning they were going door to door saying, I know you have a ballot sitting on your counter. I'm not going to leave you alone until I can walk you to your mailbox and make sure that gets in. They funded... It, uh, I, I estimate that they probably had somewhere between 600 and 800 full-time staffers mm-hmm. that were all responsible for upwards of 100 votes apiece. Do you think that that made a difference? Absolutely. So I was going to say, my point is, is that takes money to do those those operations, right? Those functions, right? It takes years of building. Democrats have been building these ballot harvesting operations for 20 years. And here in Arizona, they've been doing it for a long time. In California, they certainly have. They ship a lot of people over the border from California to do these things. Yep. But my point is this, is that to fund an operation, the cost of that's $30 million to staff 500 to 700 people, right? Somewhere in that ballpark is about $30 million. Did Cary Lake have $30 million? Did the RNC invest $30 million? Did Mitch McConnell invest $30 million? The money has to come from somewhere. Well, the national op- national arms of the Democrat Party are investing that money into Arizona. The Republican arms are not investing that into Arizona. They're not even structuring it because they're not even making the investment for it. So my point is this, is that we wouldn't even need it. I think TV alone buying, I think if they would have spent equal to what they spent in 2018, you'd have a Carrie Lake governor, you'd have a Hamaday as a, as a attorney general, no questions asked. If you, if we bought equal time on TV, I think you have a Blake Masters as a U.S. Senator today. I think you have a Adam Laxalt as a U.S. Senator in Nevada. Now, if we if we went if we did match what the Democrats were doing with twenty thirty million dollar investment here just for the ground game on ballot chasing and, and things like that, I think we end up winning by a hundred thousand votes because we picked up all those those left on the table ballots that they were picking up for themselves. So look, I, this isn't to say that election integrity is not important because election te- integrity comes first. You have to fight those battles. I'll add to that that mo- it takes money to fight election integrity battles. I just read through a report today that the RNC was delivered on election integrity from the from the heads of the election te- integrity unit with the RNC. And one of the lines that was that was written, and I'll read it to you right now. And this this is maddening stuff. So I, I'm actually sharing this with you guys before I share it with anyone else because I just it just sailed into my inbox. Literally, quote: "The RNC should pursue legal remedies quicker." In several instances, and this is across the United States, mm-hmm. they sat on legal issues for months, some which turned out to be valid, but unenforceable because of the delay. Yeah. Yeah. The RNC should not be engaging. The, this cycle, the legal team refused to provide talking points or approve trainings for over six months, putting employees and the organization in jeopardy. And this is for the election integrity unit within the RNC. This is like maddening stuff. 
money's not the solution to everything. But the point is, is this guys, if you've got a top three state that you're not, you're funding to the tune of 50% of what you funded four years ago, you're going to lose every time. It doesn't matter what you do. You're going to lose every time. You're going to lose every time 100% without like even like something magical, like a red wave happening that never, that actually never formed here because the Democrats are funding those states to the tune of 10 times what they funded them four years ago. Yeah. So that, that's the point. And like, I have, I've not heard one logical explanation at all for why, why anyone would think that funding the RNC, the NRCC, the NRSC, Mitch McConnell funding Arizona less made any kind of strategic sense in 2022. No, it didn't. And, and we go back to it's the money spent that that basically feeds into the equation of having more success. We know, you know, things that happened with Kevin McCarthy throughout the course of the midterm election cycle regarding, you know, during primary season, beating up candidates. So when the Republican finally gets the nominee, if they were American first, they seemed unattractive to more of the moderate moderates, independents and possibly walk away Dems. When you get to the general election, same thing with Mitch McConnell. Where his money went and was spent was such a wasteful amount of time. We had Congressman Nunez on the show on our Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, and he talked exclusively about this. I think it's the second time in a row he's been on that he really harped on Mitch McConnell disenfranchising a lot of those candidates uh, so close to the midterm election. And while, like, the Mar-a-Lago raid stuff was going on, it just didn't help. And, uh, you know, the Democrats have always, in addition to spreading money around and having pre-existing apparatuses set up they also go out and uh you know circle the wagons for all their candidates even the awful ones like people like john fetterman and, and stuff like that so you, you really can't take into consideration all the things that they're kind of ahead of us and then when you just look at the republican entity as a whole we've always been so reactionary to this because we want to be able to go out and say oh well we took the high ground and we're extremely transparent well it's become apparent that we're more transparent in being okay with losing elections and not doing the things that the Democrats have been using for over a decade now, like early vote and mail-in voting that we really need to start getting uh, involved with and, and, and make it a part of the big component that goes into the next election cycle. Or like you said, it doesn't matter what we do or how awesome the candidate is. It's not like 2020 was a referendum on Donald Trump if we're still talking presidentials. Getting more than 12 million votes in your second time around than you did the first time around is not a referendum on you. So candidate quality or or anything else had nothing to do with it. It's that we did not spend and we did not do the things that we need to do in places where we need to do them in Arizona – right now still is pretty much ground zero for the next election cycle. So that's but, kind of a lot of, to, go ahead. And, and, and to your point, I just want to say this to, to your point, you, you brought up like kind of in the tweet that you had sent was like, well, you know, you know, your state kind of sucks now. And so like people aren't like as interested in funding it anymore. Like, like guys, like it doesn't matter. We don't have an option. I just gave, I just gave you the statistics. If you lose Arizona, you're 57% less likely to ever win the presidency ever again. And that's if you hang on to Ohio and Florida like forever right. and, and North Carolina forever, right? Like if you lose Arizona, you have now lost more than half of your scenarios to ever win the presidency ever again. This is not like, oh, yeah, you know, the map's going to reset and like we're going to have. No, they're taking ground and never giving it back because they're changing all the laws, yep. the election procedures and laws where you're never going to win those states back. So this is like this is like dire consequences and this is what people have to understand. We don't have a choice. We have to defend if it means like to the very end here, Georgia and Arizona, we need to be 
taking we need to be like sending troops literally like telling people to move to pennsylvania to, to hang out to give us a shot in pennsylvania to move to wisconsin like otherwise we're going to lose this country to marxists who are never going to hand the country back to us ever again and we're and, and and that's what all america firsters have to understand this every person that loves america that wants to defend it once you seed arizona there is no going back you're screwed we're screwed we're in like civil war territory to take our country back in the future and i know that sounds crazy but they have not ceded any ground on the coast colorado has not flipped back no new mexico has not flipped back no this is this is kind of where we're at and it's a it's a bleak alternative and reality to what we need to do i know a lot of people were beat up after the midterm elections both at the ballot box and and in the pride department us namely being part of that as well but but moving forward we don't want to see you know the the, the national uh, committee abandoning places like arizona when it's razor thin at the worst and, and probably if ran in a more you know, sensible way with a lot more money coming in, something that we'll be able to take care of in probably just one election cycle. And when you talk about the the gravity of how much that state weighs in uh, on the general election outcome in 2024, it's something that we definitely need to address. Well, and, and this is the point, and you brought up the point. Like, that doesn't mean that we don't have self-introspection introspection here, right? Like, are there things that, like, Kerry's campaign could have done better? Yeah, of course. Are there things that Abe's campaign could have done better? Yeah, of course. Are there things that Mark Fincham could have done better? Could we have a better, you know, better fundraising that happens internally? Yeah, of course. Could we bring more outside organizations in the state? I mean, Turning Point Action was here. Yep. We were doing door knocking events every freaking weekend here, every other weekend here, right? Like nobody, I didn't see anybody else like busting their ass, like knocking doors. Like we were doing that, you know, do we need 10 times more of that? You bet, you bet we do. But that doesn't mean that like, that gives a pass to Mitch McConnell and to Rana and to other people to not do more here and fundamentally focus on us as a target state. Like Arizona has to be priority. Like we, the RNC should be sitting down together and saying, okay, we need to come up with the priorities of which states matter the most heading into the next election cycle. And the fact is I'm on the RNC guys. I'm telling you this, we don't have those conversations. Nobody's sitting down and going like, what are the priorities? Everyone goes there and hobnobs, and we country club it yep. and we don't get into some of this nitty gritty of like, we're all on the same page. Like, oh yeah, Georgia's the most important, you know, Wisconsin's the most important. And here's the proof of the reason why, and here's the type of budget that we need in order to compete with the Democrats. And I'm telling you, if we don't start doing this stuff, if we don't start having leaders that are holding other national leaders accountable, and that's my biggest thing. I've always thought, I always, I've said this many times, Rhonda's a nice person. She's a sweet person. We probably need her more in Michigan to help in Michigan, to be honest with you. Like, because that's one of the six states that we need to defend America for the future. But I mean, I'm telling you this, she's a nice person, but the reality is this with, with our, our scenario that we're in now, we need leadership that's going to step forward and be able to tell Mitch McConnell when he pulls all his money out of Arizona and sticks in Alaska, that that's wrong. And that's not going to help us def defend and preserve America for another generation. You think Harmeet Dillon will be the person that can tell Mitch McConnell that to put the money back? Yeah, of course. I've spent, I've spent, I've spent more hours talking to Harmeet in, in this in this process uh, than any any person, and I am convinced that she is not only one of the most brilliant people that we have within the movement, but she has the intestinal fortitude of what it would take to actually run this party, and that doesn't happen very frequently, guys. I'm telling you right now, 
that does not happen frequently where you have both smart people that also have the, the fortitude to, to move the party forward. She's a, she's a rare, rare person. And if the RNC decides not to elect her, it will be one of the greatest mistakes I think that the RNC has ever made. And I'm very proud of the people who stepped up because it's taken a lot of guts to step up and challenge the status quo uh, because there's a lot of threats. There's a lot of, of bullying that happens behind the scenes that nobody sees. And, uh, you know, I, I'm one of those people that I've been bullied by John McCain before. I've been bullied by Jeff Flake. I've been bullied by governors. I, I don't really care. I've done this a lot. I don't really care. That's not why I've got involved. Like these guys can go, you know, you know, go pound sand. I just don't, I don't have any remorse at all for stepping up for what's right. Uh, but there's not very many of those people that are involved that do that. And I'm really proud to say that I've watched her closely, like through a microscopic lens. And she has been, she's done nothing, but have, has, have made the movement proud and on, on principle too. So in so much that people who hate Trump are supporting her. Yeah, I mean, we, we've had her on the show several times and I've definitely seen an uptick in people that we know who usually follow our material that have been a lot more optimistic about her candidacy and that it seems a lot more promising that uh, an actual fighter is going to get in there instead of someone that's just going to continually ride the waves. Tyler, this is the conversation that I think we needed to have, but I, I also think it's just the beginning of it. I mean, we know you're going to be busy with the RNC meeting for the rest of the week, but at some point in the near future, we'd love to have you back on the show, get an update on what's going on following the meeting, regardless of what falls out with who the new leadership or continued leadership is going to be. And some of the, the additional things we need to do in Arizona, as we did put so much attention and care towards it over the last couple of election cycles here on our show, moving forward, we'd like to continue to do the same for everyone that's not following you on social media and wants to get involved, whether it's uh, Arizona or just in general, where can they find you? We'll live link them in the show description. Oh, thanks, guys. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Uh, you know, I've been tracking and seeing some of your uh, of your show. I, I haven't I haven't been a regular listener, but I probably will be now. And I will tell you this is that the, the work and the focus that we need to put in on Arizona uh, and Georgia and Wisconsin are so important. And so, again, thank you for for giving it that focus. Thanks for giving that spotlight and having the positive attitude that you're having towards it, because. The more positivity we give it, the more the more likely people are going to be able to come here to help us work, knock doors, and also give the money that we need to make up for the money that we're not getting. So, uh, yeah, but you can find me on, on Twitter, just Tyler Boyer. It's B-O-W-Y-E-R. Excellent. And we'll be looking forward to having you back at some point next month. We'll get more of an update and get into the, the numbers and, and what we need to do moving forward a little bit more. This is RNC National Committeeman. Tyler Boyer, thanks for coming on the show with us. Thanks, guys. Keep hustling. We appreciate you. Take care. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100 free shipping and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com That's MyPatriotCigars.com A premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. It's the two-year anniversary of Joe Biden being sworn in as president. So what do we get for a two-year anniversary? We now find out 4.5 million people have come across the border illegally. 
That's just the ones they've counted. Last month, 250,000, a record never before in American history. Have we watched that? That happened in December. Inflation like we haven't seen in 40 years. And now you find out not only were you lied about the laptops before the last election, now we were lied about and not told that they had documents, that they raided another president, that they don't believe justice is equal. They believe justice should be served on people they politically disagree with and that they are above the law. That's what two years of Joe Biden's presidency has given us. And there's a lot that he's right there about. That's Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy, who was appearing on Jesse Waters' show yesterday, uh, talking about the two-year anniversary of Biden's inauguration? Mm. (laughs) Or lack thereof. But one of the biggest gifts he gave us was the amount of illegal crossings, which did reach another milestone. It's a gift that keeps on giving. The December numbers came out, and over 250,000 people were encountered, which brings the total over 5 million uh, since the start of the Biden regime. And uh, getaways was officially announced at over 1.57 million. So Getaways. Getaways. Refresh me on what getaways are. Those are the ones that we have no idea who they are, what they're up to, and they didn't want to get caught. Therefore, they didn't. Probably trip to censor, and because everybody's changing diapers and passing out Capri Suns, they just couldn't make it in time to give them a piece of paper that says, go visit an ICE judge if you want to and have a nice life. Um, one of the other numbers that's up, so over the course of last year, 98 people who were on uh, the International Terrorist Watch List or adjacent lists were apprehended illegally crossing the U.S. southern border. This year, we're already up to 33. Now, when you factor in the over 5 million people who came in, divide that by the over 1.5 million getaways, it equals disaster for probably how many of the people on those said watch lists weren't caught over the course of the first two years of the Biden regime. But before we get into the border a little bit more, one of the states that's greatly affected by this is Arizona, and we are coming off the back of that piece with Tyler Boyer, who made it on Steak for Breakfast for the first time. You know, this is one of the only places that's not afraid in all of the podcast community to have difficult conversations sometimes. Uh, We brought Tyler on the show after he talked about how one of the tweets we quoted of his didn't seem accurate in his point of view. But the fact of the matter is, is that Arizona is under assault right now uh, by the Democrat machine and the RNC, Mitch McConnell, the Governor's Association, and now Kevin McCarthy haven't done the jobs that they need to do to better fortify Arizona moving forward. However, as he pointed out, there is a simple equation to 270. Uh, It will be a difficult road for whoever the nominee is. We, of course, feel it's going to be Donald Trump, but it won't be as as much of an an easy just breaking the blue wall up in the Great Lakes states as it was in 2016. We are going to need all hands on deck for Arizona and having those conversations is the start of where we need to be at least on this show. And we'll be looking moving forward to having Tyler back on. What'd you think? No, it was, uh, you know, not necessarily what we do. We usually bring people in. We know they're awesome. They talk about their awesomeness and then we cut, but you know, it's sometimes like, you have to nudge each other, even if you're in the same corner of the solar system of like conservative commentary and politics and stuff like that to make sure that we're all on the same page. Yeah. You got to come at people and hear what their angle is and what they're thinking and what their opinion is on it. I mean, don't always have to agree, but it's good to be open-minded and listen. Yeah. I I think, uh, 
you know, it, it, there's times and places f- for other narratives. And, and on this show, we want to work towards the most plausible and sensible, comprehensive solution to move forward. Well, and, you know, right after we got off with him, we were talking and it's just like, yeah, it would be an epic failure for us to lose Arizona. We can, essentially. And uh, we, we, we can't have an instant replay of what happened in the midterm elections there. Um, he did talk about, you know, candidates moving forward, maybe need to do some other things. But it's it's the larger damn it, apparatus of, of everything related to the RNC. And that's early voting, vote by mail, ballot harvesting, staying grassrootedly. I think one of the biggest things, we talked about it with Christina Bob at the open of the show today, people who live in states that are voting for candidates would much rather have them go do a town hall and 200 to 2,000 people show up, hear the issues, be able to ask questions and physically interact with them than seeing them on Tucker Carlson every night. And uh, national appeal in state races means nothing. Uh, Everybody got to see how awesome of a candidate Carrie Lake was, but did that transpire over to the ballot box? We still don't know based off of what's going on there. Uh, at the end of the day, because they did have a lot of, you know, uh, structural failures in Arizona with the machines and the ballot paper and stuff like that on Election Day. But neither here nor there. The results are in. There's a governor sworn in there. And until otherwise happens, that's the results we got to live with. So but sticking in Arizona and places like such on the U.S. southern border it, it is a disaster. And, and one of the only shows who continues to talk about this, not in just brief two minute segments like you'll find on Legacy Media. Is here. I, I saw a good article yesterday. It was from Breitbart. Noah, did you hear this one? No, I did not. Four migrants who were bused from Texas to New York City were arrested because they walked into a Macy's and walked out with $12,000 in merchandise. Nobody told them that they're only supposed to keep it under a certain amount? Mm. Or no, that wasn't in California. <laughs> yeah. $12,000. $12,000 worth of merchandise from a Macy's in New York City. Hmm. I'm actually surprised the Macy's in New York City are still open, to be honest with you. <laughs> Did they? I didn't realize that they sold food and doctorates at Macy's. <laughs> That's what I said. I literally captioned the tweet and said, here's all your doctors, lawyers, and engineers at work yeah. for the American people. Um, people who are at work for the American people and definitely looking for a comprehensive solution to the crisis we have on the U.S. southern border is current Ohio Senator J.D. Vance. And Arizona House Rep Andy Biggs. Uh, I saw them both on TV this week, and they were talking about what's going on down on the southern border and some of the things we need to do to uh, make it safe, secure, and, well, eventually great again. Let's hear the duo weigh in. First of all, proud to to partner with Congressman Biggs here on this is they don't have the legal authority, and they need to explain where they think they get the legal authority to effectively, preemptively grant 30,000 new amnesty cases per month from a select number of countries. That's 360,000 cases a year on top of what we've already seen over the past couple of years, the Biden border crisis. So this is the sort of power that's meant to be used on a case by case basis. The Biden administration is blowing it up to grant mass amnesty. We'd like to know where they think they get the authority from. And that's an important part of stopping this for, for, for good. The numbers of migrants making their way to the U.S. southern border is record-setting. It's overwhelming for Border Patrol officials. Congressman Biggs, if you had to point to a single individual who should be responsible for overseeing the immigration parole program, who would that be? Well, it's going to be Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, mm. and that's who Senator Vance and I have uh, written our letter to because 
Said, uh, Secretary Mayorkas is the guy that's implemented every policy that's opened up the border and has been inviting. And so when we start talking about over 300,000 people uh, getting parole status last year alone, and that's that's what they will admit to. They, there's probably more. And when you consider uh, what, what, what it normally was, it was maybe a dozen, maybe 20 people a year under previous administrations, both Republican and Democrat, they're using this as a tool to uh, use their uh, establish and facilitate their catch and release program. Yep. And that's why Senator Vance and I and all of my, our colleagues that have joined us, uh, we're, we're just pushing so hard against this because this these people, we won't know where they're going. We don't know, again, what their intentions are, but they're coming from four countries, for Pete's sakes, only four countries. And that is exactly the opposite of what this law was intended to be. True story. Mm-hmm. It's good to see those two America First congressmen uh, Biggs in the House and, and Vance in the Senate working together on getting some comprehensive legislation to get her to push back, not only on the open border policies, as Congressman Biggs said it, Alejandro Mayorkas has facilitated over the course of the last two years, but uh, blocking in any way, shape, or form the big amnesty bill that's going to be coming down the pike. I, I, I can't express enough how much I need to warn everybody, especially these people who are voting in these border states here, your Congress people are going to try and bait and switch ultimate security on the border for amnesty for up to close to 40 million illegals in this country, including the over 7 million now that have come in, including getaways over the course of the last two years. So we really need to be ahead of that. And, uh, you know, when you just look at the numbers, I, I saw a, a poll this week that came out from Breitbart that said only 14% of registered voters support any kind of amnesty bill. Mm. And that's because, well, a lot more of America under the Biden regime is experiencing the benefits of having illegal sent to your city on an unmitigated basis. Uh, you know, when wages are driven down and the recession and economy is in the shape it's in right now. Um, Wait, and- you're saying that it's it's nicer when it's on a T-shirt and not when it's in your backyard? Mm, Joe Biden let us in. Yeah. And then we can't always forget and like to stress how much of an impact this is having on not only the healthcare systems, but the overall testing score averages for your kids' school districts. So we, we just need to keep in mind here of where we are and, and what's going on and, and how we need to address this. So I, I definitely think Mitch McConnell is going to be working behind the scenes to help whip votes for uh, an amnesty bill based off the bridge he got earlier in the year. And uh, his close personal and friendly relationship with former vice president and senator Joe Biden as well. So we're just going to have to continue to track this the best we can. But, you know, we'll we'll continue to bring you guys the numbers and uh, how bad they've gotten over the course. You know, one of the big things, too, we, we don't talk about frequently. We did tease it on the show when it first came out, but it just seemed like it just slid away. Um, That new amnesty pseudo amnesty that they're granting at the border, which started this month. So now you can like get your smartphone, Mm -hmm. sign up for asylum. Perfect. And then just get let in at a port of entry instead of crossing into the wilderness and hoping that border patrol is there to bust you to your first destination before they give you a plane ticket to your eventual destination or a Greg Abbott bus trip. So it's actually going to be a real concierge. Well, the fact of the matter is now without going through any of the traditional avenues or Using Congress, which is supposed to be like, you know, the, the, who decides on whether or not this is constitutionally legit. Joe Biden is essentially granting 30,000 plus amnesties a month now mm. uh, by using this app. So 
expect the border numbers possibly to go down a little bit based off the fact that these people are using like the fast pass to get in. But oh, because that won't count on the same hand. Right, but they will be the first ones to tell you, oh, we've only encountered 175,000 people. That's so much less than the 250,000 we, we encountered over the course of December when, in fact, 30,000 people are getting let in on the slide using this uh, new program that Alejandro Mayorkas ha has implemented, um, which goes back to, to, to the center of it all, which is constitutionally is what is going on down on the U.S. southern border legal is working towards any kind of amnesty to correct the the wrong decisions that have been made over the course of the last two years constitutional. And uh, what is the consequence for that? Is it impeachment? I do have another clip from Kevin McCarthy later in that segment with Jesse Waters, and he was talking about that stuff. Let's hear it. I will never use impeachment for political purposes, but I will definitely follow the truth and the facts of wherever it takes us. And I am tired of having America wide open, because you know what else you get with a wide open border? Mm. More people dying from fentanyl. Just in my home state, just up from my house, we just had a cartel style killing, even a baby being shot in the face yep. based upon what's happening on this border. 300 more Americans will die today because that border is not secure. American public has trusted us with the majority, and we will get to the bottom. You know, the fentanyl thing is awful. It's probably one of the worst epidemics of facing, facing this country right now. Um, but it's so far down the rung. The number one thing is the amount of bodies coming over mm -hmm. and how this negatively affects every pre-existing system, financial, workforce, recession, kids' schools, healthcare system, job markets, everything. Like, Yeah, and everybody just likes to say the, the, the Q word, fentanyl. Yep. When it's like, well, yeah, we've, we've beaten that horse until it's dead, like somebody on fentanyl. But... It's, it's not going to change unless you start addressing all the other things that are trickled down from the top. Yeah. And it's like when you, when you consider into the uh, equation, just based off the optics you've seen on TV as a listener. Now, when you see these people coming across the border, does it look like the sick and the elderly or the uh, well-kept and young? No, it's a lot of single males and, and, and family units and, and what are two things that are common with that demographic that happens when you get somewhere and get nice and comfortable? DUIs? That's after. Oh. You start immediately expanding the family. And we've talked about it on the show. Listen, if, if an illegal man and woman come in and they're a couple and they have a kid while they're waiting for their asylum claim to happen in the United States, regardless of, of their claim is legitimate or illegitimate, they're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Once they have that USC child, uh, they're here to stay. And so is all of their problems and their burdens on all of our systems. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is, you know, are these people who are bringing in extremely small children, are they going to try and loop them into, you know, the DACA portion of the amnesty that's coming down the pike, which will be, uh, you know, almost the centerpiece of how they're going to show you DACA and then you're going to pull back the curtain, and there's going to be like 35 million more people standing there like, we want it too. Well, yeah, and then so the DACA thing or just something similar to that that plan, like how do you prove who was not already here? Mm -hmm. Like if they just if they were one of the gotaways that got away last week. But no, I've been here for 10 years. Yeah. How, how, do you, how, do you, how do you vet these people? You don't. I mean, we're already not vetting them, but. 
How do you, how do you vet them less? <laughs> so many people used a comprehensive solution to close the border uh, during the Reagan administration, which eventually led to the Reagan amnesty, which has done nothing but backfire on us since it was implemented. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where if, if we don't do something soon, it might already be too late with the numbers that have come in with the people who were probably on all of those scary watch lists that have slipped through the crack before something really bad happens. And at that point, like in most things, not just with conservative politics, but with politics as a whole, it's going to be reactionary. You know, what if you what if you have some terrorist come in who's an illegal, who slipped in, who's on a watch list, go on like a mass shooting, and then because of all these failed policies at the border, they want to go and do a, a gun control grab. Some of the bullshit that we saw with like Gavin Newsom over the course of the weekend where he was saying like the Second Amendment is becoming a suicide pact um, after he had two mass shootings in his states with non-MAGA hat wearing elderly Asian men, which I think in totality killed <laughs> like 19 people. One guy killed nine or 10 people in an attempt to kill his wife. He was 72 years old and a 60-year-old a man. Asian man also in Northern California killed, I believe, nine people. I was just seeing on Twitter as it's coming across the feed here uh, that the victims were identified, which is horrible and, you know, never should happen. But the fact of the matter is it has nothing to do with gun control. So it, it has to do with people that need help in some aspect of their life and they're not getting it for some reasons, probably because the, the healthcare system is overwhelmed with criminals and illegals right now because none of them go to jail and uh, they always go back for free services. Well, did you see one of the last uh, shootings at the Alhambra one? It, literally you have uh, CNN say the weapon authorities found there were the weapon Recovered from the Alhambra location was a magazine-fed mm-hmm. semi-automatic mm. assault pistol. It wasn't semi-automatic, fully automatic assault pistol. <laughs> no, but like... I know. That had an extended large-capacity magazine attached to it. <gasps> and it literally just looked like a fucking Uzi or a Tech 9 mm-hmm. which that's just what they look like, other than him having a weird, like, suppressor on the front of it or okay. something. I hey, saw pictures saw- of it, and it's... that's. That's how those come. That that would be what you would call a, a standard capacity magazine for that for that particular firearm. Well, we all know AR-15s. The AR stands for assault rifle, right? Oh yes, of course. <laughs> well, if if you go and, and check out our Twitter feed, I, I I threw some of the highlights up from the weekend that was in Chicago as well. And let me tell you something: Lori mm. Lightfoot is well on the way to re-election. When you saw how that place is lit up with excitement for her, um, lit up. Yeah, it's bad. Like, so. Firing guns in the air lit up? Firing guns at people. Like, is it dawn or people just shooting a lot? And then firing guns at people that are trying to provide assistance to people who were shot, execution style. Yeah, there's a good video on my Twitter feed. You'll, you'll definitely, Oof. yeah, it looks like a, a scene out of Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> Switching gears now into something that's definitely at the forefront. So the economy, I saw, and she's been extremely absent from just about everywhere, but... Uh, you know, the person who's in charge of the country's finances right now, who's enjoying her fifth position within the federal government, Janet Yellen, spring chicken that she is, born in fighting 46, that's 1946, 
Uh, she's currently the Treasury Secretary of the United States. We do want to remind our listenership that she was the Fed Reserve Chairwoman. She was the, also the Vice Chair of the Federal Reserve. She served as the Federal Reserve's Board of Governors. She served on that and was the Chair uh, of Councils over Economic Advisors. So this is her fifth federal position. She will be receiving her fifth federal retirement. Um, and if anybody out there is listening is more of a math wizard than Noah and Antoinette and myself, if you could tell us how much you'll be making in retirement, it would be greatly appreciated on the show. Um, but she's going to be racking it up in, in, in her golden years, which she's already into a lot. Uh, she did announce on Friday the U.S. will not produce a $1 trillion platinum coin to keep the uh, U.S. from debt default. So mm-hmm. they were thinking about taking that tender, which was the platinum $100 coin, and printing a trillion-dollar one, which would be like a major Band-Aid. So printing more money, but this time it's not paper. Right. How does that help us? It doesn't. It looks cool. Mm. It's like a silver eagle, but it's made of platinum, and it's worth a trillion, because she said it is. I mean, can I have that in my coin collection, I guess? I got a coin collection, too. <laughs> Joe Dushborough was out this morning talking about so much stuff. He was talking about gun control. You know, he gets a hard-on for that stuff. He was also talking about how, and we're going to keep circling back to this guy all episode, former disgraced FBI agent McGonagall. McGonagall. Because he lied and was compromised by Russian oligarchs accepting millions of dollars in payments from them, that can only mean because he led a portion of the Trump-Russiagate investigation he, in fact, must have protected Donald Trump from being found out to be an actual Russian asset, which means Trump Russian asset confirmed. What? I listened to They're it like, really going that route? Joe Dushborough did. What an idiot. Just him, yeah. And and, and he was- Asshole. I, I listened to the clip like three times, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to play this on the show. But he was talking about the debt ceiling and, and the debt debate and all of this stuff right now going on, uh, what we're going to be seeing over the course of between now, which is almost February and June when we enter that, uh, default place, uh, and how Kevin McCarthy's involved. Let's hear him. Have Republicans also, whether you're talking about Mitch McConnell, whether you're talking about Republican donors, whether you're talking about small business owners, whether you're talking about big business owners, whether you're talking about anybody with a stake in the economy that's just not playing to the most extreme in the Republican base. You've got all of these people that want this crisis resolved. They don't want it to become a crisis. And so the cards are all stacked against Kevin McCarthy on this kamikaze mission, it, it will it it will not only uh, wreck the economy; it will also uh, it will be the final straw for 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 people that are holding out hope that the Republican Party finally right. becomes a mainstream party. So this is just a lose lose for McCarthy. And again, the sooner he can figure out a way out of it, the better he's going. I'm not to be. sure what the. So catering to the establishment, places like Microsoft, Amazon, and Meta, which is already set to lay off tens of thousands of employees due to the bad state of the economy. Listen. Wait. Go ahead. The the thing that they helped to do Mm -hmm. is causing them to get fired? Mm -hmm. Let's rewind. The thing that they assisted and facilitated to have happen is now causing all these people to lose their jobs. Mm. I love it. So funny how that stuff works. I mean, I don't love the economy, but... I. 
that part I like. Oh no, you're you're hundred percent right. And uh, the fact of the matter is, I think Kevin McCarthy holding the line towards not raising the debt ceiling, although it is pretty standard with uh, you know other presidents in the past and 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 working bipartisanly with the you know House and the Senate. The fact of the matter is, if he does it now, you don't get to pull the cover off of what Joe Biden really did to this economy. Because regardless of how much outlets like us or even ones above us, all the way up to like the legacy media, people like Tucker Carlson, who pointed out on a regular basis, who's got an, a massive reach, talk about how much. Listen, I said a couple weeks ago on the show, a dozen eggs in Southern California was $7.44 before taxes. I went to the grocery store on Monday, Noah. It was like eight bucks. Nine ninety eight at Walmart for twelve extra large eggs. Nine ninety eight. I couldn't believe it. It's gone up almost two dollars in like less than a month. I guess I haven't gone to the grocery store recently. Yeah. So it, it, it's one of those things where we're so locked in to where we can't just allow them. It's like passing the omnibus bill. If we if we just go and raise the debt ceiling and, and continue on with business as usual, not we can't only raise the egg ceiling. No, we can't unless it's Ren. It, no, <laughs> talking about the soy globalist regimes. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's one of those things where if we just continue to allow it and be past practice principles that allow, because you know, Congress has always worked with other sitting presidents. They did it for Donald Trump two or three times. Donald Trump's economy was flourishing both before and after the pandemic. Any damage that it incurred was because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden hasn't had to deal with any of that stuff, although they might not realize it yet. And we'll get to that in a bit as we're getting ready to wrap here. But the fact of the matter is, is that Yellen's been pretty much absent from all of this. We're not hearing any sound bites. I did see this weekend she jumped on like CNN International with that hot mess of a reporter, Christine. Amanpour. And Janet Yellen was, I believe she was like in Africa talking about how they need to keep paying their money so their economy stay open, especially the places like China. But she was asked about the uh, the debt ceiling debate and uh, in, in a small soundbite, let's hear. The United States is a country that since 1789 has always paid all of its bills. And the knowledge that the U.S. government can be trusted and counted on to do that um, underlies uh, the foundations really of the entire global financial system. U.S. Treasury securities are the safest investment on the planet and um, we would certainly experience at a minimum a downgrading of our debt. If that happened, our borrowing costs would increase and every American would see that their borrowing costs would increase as well. On top of that, um, a failure to make payments uh, that are due, whether it's to bondholders or to Social Security (laughs) recipients or to our military, would um, undoubtedly cause a recession in the U.S. economy and could cause a global financial crisis. More of a recession (laughs) in the U.S. economy? I, I don't understand these people, and the, the disconnect with them is so massive. Um, n- none of this affects her or the, or all of the rich elites. I mean, even though people like Jeff Bezos is, is selling his newspaper and, and laying off tens of thousands of people, the same thing with Mark Zuckerberg, their actual 
quality and standard of life means nothing. These people have never looked at their bank accounts. They've never seen like the price underneath the grocery at the grocery store since they were probably small children and went there with their parents. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that regardless of what this regime keeps doing to our economy and what all of these companies keep doing to allow it to happen is uh, what's contributing to the recession we're now in, which has been confirmed on so many levels that we just can't beat it. But the disconnect, listen, if it's not COVID, it's Ukraine. And and as we're getting ready to wrap here on our Tuesday edition of the show, the White House press conference is going on. I pulled a couple heaters. Let's hear them both back to back. The first, uh, New York New York Congressman Nick Lalota is skipping tonight's presidential reception for new members of Congress in protest of White House coronavirus rules that require an attestation of vaccination and a negative test result. Uh, Lalota says the rules are arbitrary and unscientific and should be far behind us. Does the White House have a reaction to that? Um, so, haven't seen those that reporting or those comments from uh, the again? congressman. But I'll say this: uh, we have protections in place to protect staff and the president of the United States. COVID isn't over. Uh, we've been very clear about that. Hundreds of Americans are dying every day, and cases are increasing right now, uh, today. Are they? Hang on, I'm not finished yet. Cases. Don't worry. If it's not COVID, cases of money going to Ukraine. Mm, well, how'd you guess? Let's hear that. We want to be very clear here. Uh, we've always said that we are in constant communication with Ukraine as they're uh, as they're trying to figure out what they need on the battlefield. And uh, and we out. are always looking for ways uh, to offer security, uh, security assistance uh, for them. And so, again, not going to get ahead of any uh, any uh, potential announcement. I'm not, don't, don't have know. anything for you to preview for to preview. But we're always in constant communication with Ukraine and what you it is that, that they need uh, for their success, what it is that they need uh, to really battle the aggression that we have seen uh, from uh, from Russia this almost past year. Man, I would I would have ah. lost Vegas odds if I would have said between her and Ron Klain. Uh, I would have said that Ron Klain was going to be gone, or I'm sorry, KJP would have been gone first, but Ron Klain has taken the outro uh, quite proficiently and, and will be out uh, just in a small amount of time here. So as we're getting ready to wrap on the show today, it's been a busy one. Lots of news, a little bit of debate. But the fact of the matter is, is that uh, we're bringing it to you straight. We're not selling you anything super shiny and and fancy. That's not true. Uh, And and when it comes to finding these solutions that we need to get to in regards to everything from what's going on on the border all the way down to the economy. You don't want to sell them a trillion dollar coin? Not yet. Uh, We're going to try and bring you guys there. Use promo code STEAK for half a trillion off. There you go. In the most comprehensive and honest way possible. Not a bad way to start the week. What do you think, Noah? I've had worse. I've had better. I could have a trillion dollar coin in my pocket, but I don't. We could also see if we can get this done in one take as well. If you enjoyed this episode of the Steak for Breakfast podcast and want to hear the now over 200 other editions of the show, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Podag, Google Podcasts, and FM Player. Don't forget about iHeartRadio as well. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. And don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all of our amazing guests today. Christina Bob launched her book on the show, and we're very excited for her, Trump 2024 attorney. In addition, we've had the RNC chairman from Arizona, Tyler Boyer, making his first appearance on Steak for Breakfast. Good conversation we had with him. Looking forward to doing it again. Former acting U.S. attorney Matt Whitaker dove into the uh, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden document scandal, which is continuously 
developing. And we also sat down with and got extremely hot with none other than special assistant to Donald Trump, Boris Epstein. Guys, don't forget to go out and throw some of your hard-earned cash at our partners because when you do that, it only helps make small American businesses great again, namely my pillow. Everyone likes sleep, probably enjoys a little coffee in the morning. Mike Lindell's got you taken care of for both. You enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to experience the big, big savings. MyPillow.com forward slash STAKE. For anything sleep-related, if you want the coffee, MyPillow.com forward slash STAKE for that as well. Or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the best damn headphones that I've ever owned can only be found at Odyssey. If you're in the studio, doing some music, maybe a podcast... Make the investment, get those ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website there. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Farmer Bill's Jerky. Make a purchase here and enter promo code STAKE. You're getting $5 off. You order a dozen, free shipping. It's going to be great. FarmerBillsProvision.com. Go check them out. Get yourself some jerky to enjoy while you're listening to Steak for Breakfast. Damn! Man rubs. Everybody loves them. And uh, I'll be having some man rubbed beef tonight. Oh, dang. It's going to be delicious. A little pot roast action. Manrubs.com is the website there. Enter promo code STAKE. Check him out on Facebook and Instagram as well. And we can't ever forget our good friend Alan. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. Enter promo code STAKE here. You're getting 15% off your total order. All orders over 100 bucks. Free shipping. $10 e-gift card included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com A premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Nailed it. Upcoming shows. We'll be back here on Friday. National Pulse economist Jim Nels will be joining us for the first time. We're going to sit down with former acting ICE director Tom Homan. We're going to jump up on Capitol Hill with California Congressman Kevin Kiley. And we're going to talk about the Joe Biden document scandal with Trump attorney Alina Haba. It should be a great episode. Max Miller and Eli Crane will be giving us congressional updates on the 31st, and we'll be talking tech with Jake Denton from the Heritage Foundation. Cash Patel and Congressman Mike Collins will be here on the 3rd of February, and as we're just getting into our February scheduling, I do know John Solomon will be joining us for the first time on the 10th, so we're really looking forward to that. Friends of the Week, our Truth Social Twitch streamer crew, Beastie Man 420, CSM Master was tagging us a little bit this week, so was the Siberian Kitten, love them. 13 Gen Patriot, Thomas Bama, and some call me Tim79, rounds out them. Some of our Twitter friends, William S., we're still looking for the uh, Upside Down Man. Johnny Maga, Real Al Gorbachev, Spoopy, actually commented on one of our posts. I liked it. Nice. Nightwing X, everybody loves Ghost Hammer. I like it a little bit more when you garrison him. Oh, 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 oh. There you go. And then some of the meme team. Uh, we got John Hacker LA, Namrock, Namrock was on fire this week. Grand old memes, Edward Russell, Right Wing Savages, Let's Go Brenda, Madam America, and Who White memes. Guys, things to remember between now and Friday. Number one, do your own research. I don't know if I was fact-checked at all. Well, Tyler Boyer tried to fact-check me a little bit, but uh, it seems like we let bygones be bygones there. But do your own research. Number two, start a podcast. Not bad. Mm, you're welcome. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. Places like Arizona, when you talk about presidential election cycles are places we cannot lose american greatness starts in places like that we need to start talking about american greatness on a more frequent basis and last but certainly not least let's see what happens this has been episode 207 of the steak for breakfast podcast and we'll be back so 208 on friday 
Jim Nels, Tom Homan, Kevin Kylie, Alina Habba. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Thanks for listening, and take care. Carnegie is framed for a crime he didn't commit, and only one witness can clear his name. A little sissy boy who's too scared to come forward. You gotta tell him what you saw, Billy. But I'm so scared, McGarnacle. You gotta do this one for me, Billy. McGarnacle. Okay. For you, McGarnacle. Well, McGarnacle, Billy is dead. They slit his throat from ear to ear. Hey. I'm trying to eat lunch here.